This is episode 281 of the Real Man colon A Movie Podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at two films currently playing in theaters, Men in Black International and Toy Story 4. They will also be going over some new trailers and movie news that dropped throughout the week, including the teaser trailer to Doctor Sleep and the news that Paramount is making another paranormal activity movie. What the? All that more on today's Real Man. What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and thank you for choosing this as your movie uh, information review destination for podcasting. We really do appreciate it. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We enjoy your company as always. If you're a new listener, uh, welcome. Uh, Hopefully, we didn't scare you off too much. Uh, What we typically do as stated in the beginning, uh, we will start the episode off, you know, just kind of uh, introducing our, our weeks and stuff, what has happened, give you guys the juicy deets of our, our of our lives. It's always uh, interesting or it's like 90% of the time boring, but, you know, uh, maybe you guys will find it interesting. And then go over some movie uh, news and trailers that drop throughout the week, give our commentation on it, and then uh, we will dive into movie reviews uh, of blockbusters, indie films, kind of give you guys the whole gamut of the industry. It is a lot of fun. Uh, before I throw it over to my co-host and uh, ask him how his week was, because you know it, or weeks in this case, because it's been a couple weeks since uh, our last episode. Um, you know, please uh, share this episode around, like, share, whatever you guys have to do, and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. You guys are the best. Joel, this is episode 281. Uh, it, it's you know we're getting there. It is the road to the the 300th uh, mark uh, on this uh, this podcast, or I guess as um, I would call it, the stain on the internet. Um, we're we're getting there um, as the the most glorious stain. So you know it's it's been a while uh, since we have talked to each other. I mean we we talk to each other all the time. We uh, we sing each other um, goodnight lullabies before we go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, we hold. Uh, each other's hands while walking down beaches. Like we have a lot of, lot of close time together, but you guys don't know that because you guys only hear this. So, uh, Joel, let uh, let the people know what's uh, what's been going on in your life, man. What's uh, you know, it's two weeks, two weeks worth of Joel's life. What is that all about? Yeah, it's been it's been weird. It doesn't, at least to me, feel like it's been two weeks. Uh, and I don't know if that's for any particular reason. It just kind of went by pretty quickly. Um, you know, I saw, of course. The, both the movies that we're re, we're reviewing today, I've I've been watching a bunch of stuff. You know, what I've been watching is the Good Doctor. Um, that's the show with uh, Freddie Highmore. Um, he plays an autistic doctor, uh, surgical resident for a um, for a hospital. I for, I forget where the hospital is in in this particular show, but anyway, really good. Uh, he gets the ticks of somebody with autism. Uh, pretty. Pretty, down pretty pat and 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 as everybody probably maybe remembers i actually don't know if i've mentioned this very much but i am autistic uh, i'm pretty high functioning i'm higher functioning than his character is but um but you know uh, i have i have my little i have my little ticks and quirks and and all of that if you met me uh and he just has them a little more amplified and they're and they're perfect it's it's a really good performance and it's a american accent uh on top of that so it's a lot to juggle. Um, he also has to. He's he plays a a um, an autistic person who doesn't keep eye contact well at all. There's there's levels to that in people, but uh, even people with autism. But 
generally speaking, it's hard for a lot of people with autism to keep eye contact. He does it. He, he basically, you know, has two jobs. He can't look at the camera, of course, but he also can't look at the other people's eyes. So I'm assuming that basically behind the camera, there's somebody just waving like a tennis ball, like look at this wherever it moves. And he has to move his eyes around a lot. And anyway, it's just, it's a perfectly calibrated performance and it's, and it's, uh, uh, it's a pretty wonderful show. So I've been enjoying that. Uh, my parents had caught up on it. I'm getting there. So, um, really big fan of that. If, uh, if anybody hasn't watched that show, it's, um, I think it's ABC. So and it's on Hulu. So I'm watching it through Hulu and, uh, really good. So that's been the most significant thing. I think, uh, yeah, I caught up with Annabelle creation last night cause I had missed that in theaters since I'm seeing, uh, Annabelle comes home on Tuesday. I got I got I had to catch up. Pretty good, pretty good movie. Um, a lot better than the first one. I was happy to see, um, or the I guess narratively the one after it because it was a prequel. Um, let me think. Is there anything else I did? Uh, no. That was that was pretty much it. It's been kind of an event, at least on my end, an uneventful couple of weeks. Uh, but it's about to, it was about to heat up. So, um, in, in this next couple of weeks, I'll, I'll, I'll have some stories probably. So anyway, that's been, that's been my couple of weeks. What about you? Oh, interesting. Well, uh, to, before I begin uh, on my couple of weeks, uh, I'm glad you finally saw Annabelle creation. Um, cause we're actually going to be talking about that filmmaker in the trailer section. I, I never saw the first one. And so going into this one, um, this was at a time where I was single, and so I, I literally would go uh, to the theaters um, and do, like, double or triple th- features. Like, that was my life. And I remember I did this, and oh, what was the other one? Oh, I forgot. Um, but I, I remember it was a really great experience because, one, I had never saw the first one. Uh, so I was going in blind. I had no idea what was even in this movie, but... I love Mike Flanagan as a director, so I was like, all right, that's uh, a, a plus right there. Uh, they also had a sneak preview of It uh, in front of it. The, they played the whole sewer scene, uh, so that was a, a great a little addition. And I'm assuming they're going to do the same thing for Annabelle Comes Home. Uh, if I was uh, – because they're both Warner Brothers properties, so like that makes sense to me. They'd do it again. But, yeah, I, I – either, either they're going to do it there or they're going to do it or they're going to uh license it out to whoever is in charge of scary uh, scary stories to tell in the dark oh that's a which good one. is yeah. probably even more perfect perfect because it's the middle of august and then it's well actually do you think uh i mean because they're going for a pg-13 on that one do you think since annabelle comes home as r as well do you think they would since it's similar audiences i just i just doubt that they would do it this early right um just because that's that's a long. That's a long time to maintain. Um, let's see. Hold on. That's a, that's a long time to maintain stuff. That's for, true because they don't really have a trailer out for it yet. They've only had that like that initial like. Well, I mean, granted, it's a right. long teaser, but they had their first full blast trailer. But like, they haven't done anything. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. Um, I mean, if they, if anything, they'll drop. I mean, I haven't heard anything about a trailer. Another trailer coming soon. But if anything, they'll drop one there or like in front of crawl. Or yeah. something like that, you know. I don't know who. Wow, they're, I don't know they're who actually gonna. They're going to. Um, they're gonna hit it every single month. If they have a new trailer that plays in front of Annabelle Comes Home 
and in front of crawl and in front of scary stories to tell in the dark. That's that's each month until it's released. And that's perfect. So yeah, um, wow, yeah. I, if they don't drop a trailer uh, this week to gear in front of uh, Annabelle comes home, then uh, they are they're, they're not they're smart. Dumb. <laughs> they, they, they dumb. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Great, great movie uh, indeed. Uh, I love Mike Flanagan. He's one of my favorites, uh, and we'll get to him in just a second. But. Um, so we didn't have an episode last week, and you're probably all wondering, or you're probably just like, please move on to the trailers. Uh, but I'll tell you anyways. I uh, went to New Orleans for the weekend. It was quite fun. Um, since uh, Joel and I like to keep this a, a PG show, I'm just going to tell you that I drank a lot of milk. Um, I would go eat, <laughs> drink a lot of milk, and walk around. That's basically what I did. Um, it was quite fun, though. Uh because I've really never seen New Orleans uh, at all. So just going around the French Quarter and kind of walking around seeing all the uh, antiques and paintings. And it was just a really cool area. And it's completely different from night and day. Uh, um, during the day, it's like, oh, it's happy. There's a bunch of families and kids. And at night, it's just like you committed sins just walking out of your hotel room. <laughs> it's like, it's insane, man. Um but yeah, uh, a lot of fun, uh, indeed, drinking a lot of milk um, and uh, trying some really great food and just hanging out with some good friends. So that is what uh, we did uh, last weekend, quite fun. In the movie and TV realm, of course, you know, I saw Men in Black International and then we saw Toy Story 4 last night. Uh, TV-wise, um, we are watching Big Little Lies Season 2, uh, if you guys are not into that show. It is basically like lifetime trash, but it's so well executed in its editing and acting that you just love it, uh, even if it is kind of like that lifetimey material. Um, I love the first season, and the second season is is fantastic, and it's actually a good prime example of because the first season is is from a book. It is adapted from a book. Second season is just purely whatever the writers came up with, but it feels so fluid. It still feels like the book, so. That's a good example of um, whenever the book ends, you go and you can uh, uh, create something just as uh, just as good. So we did that. We saw the pilot to Euphoria. That's the Zendaya show. Um, kind of weird that her manager would allow her to do that show because it is graphic. A twenty four co-produced it, I believe. And it's basically just about a bunch of teenagers in high school, which they all look like their Joel and I's age. Um smoking drinking you know doing doing the deed and just being as uh um destructive as possible and it's like this is like some weird fantasy of what high schoolers are like because it, <laughs> this is not how like i know that high schoolers like drink smoke and you know do stuff behind parents back but this was like on a whole different level like just watch the show you know what i'm talking about but I don't know how we feel about it. We're just um, we'll watch the second episode and I'll keep you updated on that. And of course, we're watching *Handmaid's Tale*. Uh, great show, but I'm I'm glad it's ending just because it's uh, getting a, a tad repetitive. And then th- these coming two weeks, guys, it's going to be ridiculous with um, with screenings. I got *Midsummer* uh, in a couple days. Super stoked for that. Uh, *Spider-Man: Far From Home* next Wednesday. I got *Stuber* on the second of July. It's just, huh. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be wild, and what's even crazier is that um, even if Midsummer and Spider Man Far from Home, Far from Home are fantastic, I can't put it on our uh, mid year report list for next week because they they come out in July, so um, <laughs> that's gonna be really frustrating because Midsummer is gonna probably hit that list. Um, but yeah, but yeah, uh, 
that is what we've been kind of up to in that sphere. Um, couple things, and then we'll uh, we'll dive into some trailers. Um, you know, if you guys ever want to like talk to us, like tweet at us or hit us up on Facebook or whatever, Joel and I are usually pretty friendly. Uh, not not so much Joel. Uh, he he usually just like barks at anybody uh, that says hi to him. It's really awkward and weird. Um, but he yeah, just, I'm like, a I'm a diva, so don't get on my bad yeah, side. He, I'm he, just kidding. He's a, he's a huge <laughs> diva, so please don't get on his bad side. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, we we talked to Brad a lot, one of our listeners, and uh, he he usually sends me stuff. Um, uh, whenever we talk about it on the show, or whatever, if he knows that I am into a movie, he'll send me promotional stuff for it. Like, hey, did you check out this? I'll be like, what the? I never even seen that. I'm sure he does the same thing with Joel, but he sent me this claymation thing. Uh, that Orion Pictures did for the promotion of Child's Play, and it was awesome. It was like watching um, Robot Chicken in uh, like Child's Play form, and it was just basically a POV of Chucky like just slicing up other dolls in the bedroom. It was so fun. Um, and also, I can't wait until we talk about Toy Story 4, by the way, because Joel and I have been talking about the producers of Child's Play like pretty much railing against Toy Story 4 with their posters and stuff. I cannot believe Toy Story 4 actually had more in common with Child's Play. Like, I swear, those producers talk to each other. It's kind of incredible. Uh, we'll get to that when we uh, get into the review. But And then the last thing. Joel's going to love this. I, I purposely – I almost texted him yesterday because I wanted him to know about it. But I thought it would be super funny. I held it out for the show. So typically when um, – People send Joel and I like screening links or screener opportunities. We typically take them because Joel and I are still the underdogs in this space in Dallas. And so we want to like show them that we're game to review anything and not just big old blockbusters because <coughs> cough, cough, there's some people in our space that literally just show up to the big blockbuster movies and don't go to the smaller films. And that's not that's not right. If you want to be a film critic, then you need, you need to see at least – 90 to 95% of everything that comes out. And that includes smaller films from smaller companies, whether it be A24, IFC, um, or just any neon. other one. Yeah, yeah, Neon. Like, like because there's a, there's even a couple of them. And it, obviously, I, I can't do all everything, but there's been a couple of them that, bit, that listen or find Joel and I's podcast or find my YouTube channel, and they want us uh, or – they're asking for me specifically, but they mentioned Joel because he's a part of the podcast. Um, they're like, hey, we have this smaller film. Um, can, can you review it? And if I look at my schedule, I'm like, okay, I, I got you. Uh, sometimes I have to, you know, just, you know, delete the email or and sometimes I'll just be like, hey, let's let's go for it. But I will I will typically review most things that will come my way. However, uh, I got I got an email yesterday, Joel. Um, well, I actually got two of them. One of them was for Stuber, and I was like, perfect. I'm going to sign up for that screen. The second one was from uh, an IFC rep, and I love IFC. You know, you want to know why? Because they have movies that are radically different from one another. Like one uh, one screening, I, I got Diane, and then the next day I got The Wind. Two completely different genres, and then like <laughs> – I'll get like some comedy the next week or like I'll get another drama towards the end of the year for uh, Oscar season like uh, wildlife. It's like it's kind of crazy how different uh, the movies that they pick. So I got an email yesterday and they're just like, hey, you have a link opportunities for review. I looked at the title of the movie. I'm not going to even entertain them 
with uh, asking for a link. And Joel's probably scratching his head. He's like, well, what'd you turn down? I don't know if people know this, Joel, but I respect the heck out of you. I respect the heck out of Mark. There's a lot of people I respect in this field. If you come to me and you say, this was awful, and there's nothing redeeming about it, and it's not worth your time, then I'm not going to give it the time of day. Even if I wanted to check it out for myself to see if you were wrong. I trusted you when you said Ophelia was bad. So when I got that email and it said, would you like to review it? I, I hit delete so fast, I think I burned a hole through my phone. So um, I just thought that was funny. Like She sent it over the, the rep and she's like, you want to – you know, it's it's a mass email. It's just like if you want to review it, please email back. And I was like, "Oh, Ophelia, nope." <laughs> so <laughs> I deleted it. Uh, if you guys remember when we talked about the films that we saw at the Dallas International Film Festival, that was the night that uh, I proposed to my uh, then girlfriend, now my fiance. And so Joel went by himself, and uh, I just remember um, he was like, "That was terrible." And I was like, "Really? <laughs> like we've we've seen a lot of." kind of mediocre to slightly good films at the festival. He was like, yeah, this was the first one. Uh, so I was like, ooh, I'm glad I missed it. So uh, I remembered it after all these uh, months later because it's been almost three months since that festival happened. So, um, yeah, kind of crazy. Uh, so Yeah, th- you went off and got engaged, and you and you left me. Yeah, I left you to, to go suffer Ophelia. with Ophelia. So, <laughs> hey, 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 but at least you relayed the, relayed the information, and now I didn't have to see it. Uh, so I'm sorry, IFC, if you if any of the reps listen to this show, which I, I'm pretty sure they don't. But if they do, um, <laughs> I will still re- like look at every email and that you guys send to me. It's just in this case, I was like, I trust uh, my homeboy more, so sorry. All right, so that is it for the uh, up at the top and uh, all that uh, good stuff. Uh, You know, we took a little longer than usual, but hey, you guys haven't seen this in two weeks, uh, and you're probably going to be even more frustrated when we tell you the schedule uh, at the end of the episode (laughs) for July. Uh, But until then, some trailers drop, guys. Now, if if you guys know me, um, if I see a really great movie, I'm going to text Joel about it, and I'm going to be like, listen, this is like the best thing I've seen all year so far. And he, he's going to be like, well, well, what is it? And I told him the title, and they they just roll their eyes, and they, they, they don't take me seriously. It was the same way when uh, when we saw The Boss Baby. And I turned towards Joel, and I was like, Joel, this is the best thing I've seen all year so far. <laughs> and he didn't take me seriously, and it, it kind of upset me because I'm like, Joel, I'm being serious. And he's like, right, right, right. And he just started walking away as if he didn't know me. So... <laughs> There was a trailer that dropped to a sequel uh, to where uh, when I walked out of the first film, it it was by far one of the best uh, movies in animation. It broke new grounds, and I I was really excited to see where they would go with it. And uh, of course, uh, talking about yeah, right. Uh, So the the first you know movie uh, of Trolls, I just remember uh, walking out of that thing going, "Wow, that that was just a a piece of art right there," and then. so the sequel comes out with a trailer, uh, Trolls World Tour. It sounds like a, uh, a failed Guitar Hero offshoot uh, game. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and so this one comes out next April, and this one is uh, – I'm just going to read it uh, IMD, IMDB verbatim as I usually do. <clears throat> you ready for it? Sequel to the 2016 animated hit. That's it. All right. So uh, that's what, that's all. That's honestly what it says. Um, so this one, uh, you have the returning cast, and I was joking by the way. 
heavy sarcasm. I hated the first Trolls. Uh, and <laughs> I don't like this trailer. It looks stupid. Uh, and I'm still going to go see it regardless. <laughs> because I'm going to get an invite and I want to go torture myself. Um, you have Anna Kendrick coming back. You have uh, <laughs> Sam Rockwell's in this. Uh, Jamie Dor- I'm just now looking at this. Jamie Dorn. Uh, you have Justin Timberlake, James Corden, uh, Rachel Bloom. Uh, it, it's a it's a pretty stacked cast. Uh, I'm actually surprised they get all these people to do this type of film, but hey, to each his own. Um, but Trolls World Tour, it, if I can try to piece together the story, um, and this is the actual story. So they're taking a, a playbook out of um, uh, Thanos and his Infinity Gauntlet. There are six strands of trolls, uh, I think, uh, that include like rock, techno, uh, classical, um, jazz, uh, and a couple others I forgot. But um, when they all come together, they, you know, create this like harmonious guitar. I forgot what it was. Uh, but the people in the rock category, the rock trolls, they want to um, dismantle the entire guitar and just obliterate all of them because they're like, we're the best genre. Well, first of all, it's true because rock is amazing. But in this case, <laughs> they're uh, they're being a bunch of a-holes, and I don't really appreciate that. Uh, the fact that they just want to like wipe out their whole like species because they're the best. Um, yeah, it's stupid. Uh, I hate it. Uh, I hate all the songs. I hate the way it looks. I hate the way the story kind of played out. I was like, this is exactly how it, uh, the gauntlet is in Infinity War. It's, it's so weird. Um, I, I, could, I, I don't care. Um, it, listen, if you have kids, I, I have like I have like tiers of like animation uh, for for like families. For instance, uh, speaking of Pixar, if I recommended like a um, like an Inside Out, it's like, hey, that's a nice family film. I think adults will appreciate it. Kids will appreciate. It. Everyone's going to appreciate because it it's a great film. And then you have stuff like The Secret Life of Pets too. Where, like, you know, when I was talking with Brad about it earlier this week, I was like, we both agreed, like, hey, his kid liked it, but we both agreed as adults, like, it's fine. It's whatever. It's passable. Move on. And then you have the bottom tier, like the ugly dolls, the trolls, the 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 boss babies, the ones that, like, are, that cater to, like, the most generic, like, bottom-feeding, like, movie tropes, and it's just like, just stop. Please stop it. I realize this is a business, but please try harder. Um, it just, ugh, I just hate everything about I mean, it. I just, I just caught up with one this week, Wonder Park, uh, from earlier in the year, which, oh, good lord, didn't even have a credited director for a year and a half of its production, <laughs> and I, and still does not actually. It, do, it doesn't. There's no director credited in the in at the end of the movie. Um, it just goes straight into the writers after it um, rattles off the cast. And it feels directionless and completely anonymous and committee and committee manufactured. Um, I disagree about a, trolls. You know, you know that. Oh. But I do agree about some of these others. You know, Ugly Dolls is negligible. Um, the Boss Baby, we saw that together, and and I I, I, I still haven't forgiven you. Um, I'm just kidding. It's because I dragged <laughs> but, you out on a Saturday morning. I don't forgive myself. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I still hate the fact that we both saw that. Um, yeah, I mean stuff like Epic, uh, Strange Magic, these these tiny little movies that didn't make any money um, from companies spending way too much money on them uh, from a few years ago that just don't have any any ambition, any sort of uh, sense of creativity. Um, that are all just they they just feel committee manufactured. Um, yeah, it it's 
yeah, you know, I like the first trolls. This sounds stupid. So I don't know how excited I am to see it. Or like anything. Joel, I, uh, I I know you don't want to watch them, but for the love of everything that is holy, please break your rule for just this trailer. And I want you to okay. watch it and just kind of roll your eyes and be like, "This is the well, story I, they're going I, I, with." I will tell you that I accidentally saw the um um what's the Pixar one? Uh, um, onward. Onward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know there was <clears throat> you were wanting me to watch it to have a um a take on that. Sort of the idea that it that it seems DreamWorksy um, and all of that sort of second, and I guess it's interesting. I guess this is getting off topic, but I guess it isn't what people usually expect to see from Pixar. Um, and I guess there's something in the design of the characters that seems DreamWorksy, like they're like it's some you know sequel to Home or something like that. Oh God, please don't bring that up. But no, no, I mean, but but I think it looks more creative than that. It's, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I will yeah. like I will admit, even with like st- stuff like the Good Dinosaur, like it's still creative. It's just like there's there's issues with it, and it's like right. Yeah, yeah that's so, that's that's low tier. That's low tier Pixar for sure. Yeah, this this looks tier. like it may end up following in that in the in the footsteps, but. I will say that it says that it's from the creators of Toy Story, The Incredibles, and Coco. And you can always tell their confidence in something by the movies they say it's from the creators from. Right. Uh, of. Um, and so we could be looking at something pretty special. It has, you know, next year's another um, two, uh, two originals year for Pixar. That and Soul coming out in July or June or whatever. Um. So it could be that it's that it's something special, but yeah, I mean, it does look it does look a little second tier for for them. Uh, this and... brings me back to my point: we want to see everything else, but Trolls World Tour. All right, so uh, <laughs> right, no no one's talking about that. Um, that trailer uh, caused me to have a headache. All right, so the next one uh, I'm looking forward to immensely because people have been talking about it online, making gifts out of the movie, and um, the trailer dropped, and I think it comes out. Uh, actually, I think it's already out. Uh, I think it said June twenty first. So, but the the trailer did drop in the time that, um, you know, and everything. I just want to let you guys know about it. It's called Wild Rose, and this mm-hmm. one is about a musician from Glasgow, and uh, she dreams to become uh, a Nashville star. And I mean this in the best way possible. It looks like a star is born, and it kind of has that kind of like really heavy emotional weight to it um that uh, a star is born has with some really great music and a great lead performance uh from jesse buckley she's having a great year so far she was uh, also in chernobyl um oh yeah and we're, we're on episode three of that and it is a phenomenal show uh it, i've heard it's i've heard it's light romantic affair <laughs> light romantic hey listen the writer of it did uh write hangover two and three that's so. true <laughs> uh craig oh mazin god. uh god bless you sir um and and superhero movie and super yeah he's uh he's had quite the uh the resume um but yeah, yeah. chernobyl is fantastic and uh and she's really great in it now it's more of an ensemble show for sure but um uh everyone it, jared hess is like a king on that show he is fantastic but uh yeah wild rose looks amazing it, it looks like a star is born there's really nothing more i can add to it i really want to see it very very badly and i think it's also because i i i really enjoy a star is born i don't know why people like to poo poo on it um i, I just I, I love it um i've seen it a lot of times i i love the music in it i love Bradley Cooper's performance, I love Lady Gaga's performance. It's just a really great movie. Um, so if you can give me anything like that, now this is more on a smaller scale for sure. 
because you know a star is born had Warner Brothers behind it, bigger stars attached to it, a lot of money behind it. I get that, but uh, Wild Rose does have that um, kind of feeling to it, and I, I really, uh, really appreciate I'm, that. I'm seeing it in a couple weeks. I can't wait. It, it opens here on July 5th. So July 5th. Okay, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I guess it opened up limited release this yes, weekend, but yeah, it'll expand. Yeah. So um, yeah. that's good. Uh, coming out soon. And the uh, next trailer um, is more up my alley. Uh, I, I'm curious to know if uh, it is up Joel's alley because I, I know that Joel and I are very odd when it comes to uh, like horror movies, horror comedies, really gruesome movies, gory movies. Because the thing is, like Joel's not approved, but like he also rolls his eyes when I tell him I I like like disgusting movies of violence and stuff. And uh, I'm just curious how he uh, feels about this one. This one's called Ready or Not. And this one's got an interesting premise. A bride's wedding night takes a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. Now, from what I gathered in the uh, the trailer, the uh, the woman that is marrying into the family, this family is actually rich from creating games, like board games and card games and all that stuff. So that's how they got their wealth. And so it's kind of the initiation uh initiation night where they're just like all right you want to be a part of the family we're gonna play hide and seek and it gets a little deadly and it gets really violent and it has that horror comedy flair to it um you know not like a Shaun of the dead because i think that's a little uh definitely more wittier but or wittier but uh it's it's definitely got the um i'm trying to think of like a movie to compare it to but i really enjoyed the vibe of it it does kind of have like an edgar wright um, kind of flair to it in terms of its uh, editing style. Um, some of the jokes actually did work for me. Uh, some of the kills were kind of funny. I just think it's a it's an interesting little premise. And uh, I think what's even more fascinating about it is that Fox Searchlight is distributing it. So I guess they want to do more genre pictures, which is great. It, it kind of um, expands their filmography a little bit because they're, they're known for like the favorite and you know can you ever forgive me and all the the oscar hitters which is what that company was built for but it's nice to see like genre pictures and like you know uh horror films coming out from that brand it's uh it's quite nice but uh yeah i I really enjoyed the trailer you have uh samara weaving as the uh the main character you have andy mcdowell Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien. It's got a pretty good cast uh, for a premise that would probably scare away most actors <laughs> to do something like this. But it looks fun. Uh, I really, uh, I really like it. Um, it sounds fun. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't know how it's, it would hit people like you because you know me. I'm, a, I'm a little bit more lenient on stuff like that. I'll watch that and be like, man, that was the best thing ever. You'll walk out of it go, mm, no, you're wrong. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see. Uh, uh, what you think of it? Cause, uh, I don't, yeah, we're not going to get a screener for it, but, um, you know, if we come around to it, I'll watch it. The next one is a very, uh, highly anticipated film. Uh, it is three from hell it is the third film in the Rob zombie, um, franchise of, you know, house of a thousand corpses, the devil's rejects. And now this one, there's really nothing much to the story. Cause if you go on IMDb, they're keeping it pretty tight lipped and it's just, it just says sequel to the devil's rejects. Now, if you ask a lot of people, a lot of people will say that The Devil's Rejects was Rob Zombie's best movie. And I will tell you that that is mostly true. I still really like um, the first the, the first Halloween that he did. Um, not so much like the second half, but I love the whole first half with like Michael Myers and the uh, 
insane asylum. You have uh, Doctor Loomis like talking to. Him. I just I love just like the the conversations that they had. Um, so I really liked his kind of like take on that. And the Devil's Rejects is actually it's sadistic and it's it is buck wild, but it's uh it's really good. It kind of reminds me of like a really intense version of like like a Thelma and Louise or something like to where Rob Zombie saw that movie and was like I'm gonna make my own like gory and uh more hard R version of that and so that's what we kind of get and um it follows the same three characters these three characters that are, they go around towns killing people and obviously you have like sheriffs and stuff stopping them I don't know which route this movie's gonna go but it'll be very interesting to see because Rob Zombie's been very it's more missed than hit in terms of general audiences for him. But a lot of people do like The Devil's Rejects. So I'm curious to see how people transition into this film, given the fact that he has made some kind of crap pieces throughout his uh, uh, filmography. I, I, I'd be curious to see if people would go back and uh, give this one a shot. But I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I'm one of those sadistic people that like <laughs> The Devil's Rejects. And uh, there was definitely something there. That's the type of Rob Zombie filmmaking that I love is when he does his Rob Zombie-isms and uh, people say the F word every you know three words or uh, unwanted sex or violence in the film, but also like there, there could be something a little you know deeper underneath all that. That's what The Devil's Rejects was for me. I don't know why it worked for me, but it just did. So I, I'd, be, um, I'd be curious to uh, check this one out. So Three from Hell, the uh, third film in that franchise. Now, uh, I'm going to go over one more, and then uh, I got two of them that I'm really looking forward to uh, are in the same category as uh, Wild Rose. Um, but the last, like, kind of, like, goofy one that I will mention, I had no idea this movie even existed. I have no, I had no idea it was even coming out, but that's how Eric Andre rolls uh, when it comes to um, his projects. Uh, if you don't know who Eric Andre is, he's a very uh, – <sighs> He's a very timid Eric E type of comedian. Uh, trolls a lot of people, does extreme stuff, and he has his uh, extreme talk show on uh, Adult Swim. And he's a very acquired taste when it comes to uh, comedy. But uh, I, I do think that he's very funny. And if you have never seen him in, um, oh good lord, what is that show with uh, Jay Baruchel? Oh, I'm losing it. It's the show on FX where. Um, uh, Jay Baruchel's trying to find, like, you know, his next, like, love interest, and it, it takes more of, like, a fantasy comedy route. Uh, Eric Andre plays his best friend in that, and he's really good on that show. So he's got he's, talent. He's also the guy behind, or in the, um, why would you say something so controversial yet so brave meme? Oh, um, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, yes, that's yes. him. So so people will probably recognize his face because of that. It's oh, a yeah. pretty, pretty well-used one. If you see Eric Andre's face, you're like, oh, that guy. Um, yeah, yeah. It, he he he's like I say, he's an acquired taste as a comedian, but I enjoy him. Um, but he's doing his own uh, kind of jackass movie with uh, what's his name, Jeff Tremaine. Uh, he's the gentleman that brought us all the jackass movies and of course the show and like Bad Grandpa and all that stuff. He's teaming up with him to do a prank movie where him and Little Rel Howery are two friends that embark on a cross country road trip where they prank people using hidden cameras. That's all it is, um, but it has it's the same type of feeling as like a jackass film. Uh, you have Tiffany Haddish in this as well, 
Um, I guess they're friends because I don't know why her agent would allow her to do this, <laughs> especially since she has movies like The Kitchen coming out where that could change her whole whole career path. Um, I, I I will admit the prank movies are getting a little tiresome for me. I am one of those people that did see Jackass 2 and Jackass 3D, yes, in 3D, in theaters, and I enjoyed them. Um, you know, it's not it's not this deep art cinema that you're going to look for. You're going there to laugh, and you're going to look at pranks and just, just have a good time with your friends, man. And that's what uh, Jackass 2 and 3 were for me. I somewhat enjoyed Bad Grandpa. You know, it is what it is. Um, it's definitely there are definitely movies that you want to watch with an audience. As uncomfortable as some of the scenes might be, it is a lot funnier with like a bunch of people. So with this one, I kind of want to see it only because I'm not saying I'm tired of Johnny Knoxville and the Jackass Gang, but it's actually refreshing to see. Faces like Eric Andre or Lil Rel Hari or Tiffany Haddish doing these pranks. It kind of breathes in new life to the prank movie. And so I kind of want to see it now. Uh, It could be like the worst thing ever. And I don't think Eric Andre cares because this is what his comedy is all about. Is just making people as angry or as uncomfortable as possible. That's what he does. But I kind of want to see it. There was a couple of the gags that looked fun and it could really work like there was one gag where um tiffany hash like broke out of prison and she dressed as an inmate and she was just running across like the front lawn of like the the prison like talking to people like hey what year is it who's the president like <laughs> and just seeing their faces and stuff it it, it was kind of funny um but I, like i said i think it's just because they are in it and it's not uh the normal people that we see in these prank movies it's new faces so um yeah i i'm curious i'll just say that uh, so yeah bad trip uh that is a movie that is coming out and eric andre is in and he plays pranks on people god bless america all right the next two <laughs> uh i i think both could be top 10 contenders uh for myself and joel um and i'd be really curious on what joel thinks about um this one, whenever he does see the movie, because it looks pretty great. There is a story behind it, and I will get to that, that does taint the movie just a little bit in my eyes. But uh, it's it's honestly nothing, but you know, it's just because Shia LaBeouf and his antics. But this one is called The Peanut Butter Falcon. And this one tells the story of Zach uh, as he runs away from his care home to make his dream of becoming a wrestler come true. And the wrestler name that he picked was The Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, the... The main character, Zach, is actually played by a gentleman named Zach God Sagan. Sagan, And he is an actor with Down Syndrome. And the character Mm -hmm. in the movie has Down Syndrome. And so that's why he's in a care home. And, you know, people like Dakota Johnson in the movie, she looks after him. And uh, he, he runs away and he comes across Shia LaBeouf's character. Shia LaBeouf's character is very, uh, into this idea of him wanting to become a wrestler, and they kind of go on this journey of helping him achieve his dreams. And it, I'm telling you right now, I don't really cry during trailers often, but uh, I, I I teared up a couple times. It, it's a very endearing movie. It's very sweet, very charming, and I honestly need to watch this movie now. Uh, I think it comes out August 9th, so it's very mm-hmm. soon. Um, but it, yeah, it, it looks like a very... 
Um, a very good road trip movie, buddy movie, uh, you know, friendship movie. And uh, just having uh, this this guy just try to achieve his goals of becoming a professional wrestler. And I uh, there's something to be admired about that. You know, it's just he didn't really care who was in his way. He didn't really care what was going on. He just wanted to go achieve his dream. And I think with that, uh, that theme going on, his interaction with Shia LaBeouf, which he looks also fantastic in this movie. Um, John Hawks is also in this. It just looks like a really sweet movie. And uh, I can't wait to see it. So the Peanut Butter Falcon. August 9th, and the story that was behind this movie, because uh, I was looking at the trivia for it, and I'm like, Shia LaBeouf, you and your antics, because I, I, I remember hearing about this. This was the movie where he got arrested for public uh, intoxication. Uh. Uh, so uh, they said in the trivia, while filming on location in Savannah, Georgia, Shia LaBeouf was arrested on public drunkenness charges in the early morning hours of July 8th, 2017. So you remember when we heard about that story, this was the movie that he was on while he did that. So interesting. I, I hate that he did that because, you know, it, you know, I can push that out of my head and still enjoy the movie, but it, it just kind of sucks that this is one of those movies that could help him bounce him back into the public light in, in a good way. And um, this in the movie that he uh, also uh, co-wrote about his abusive father. He's going to have a great year. I just, you know, hopefully that was the last time he um, does stuff like that and he gets uh, some help or something because, you know, he's a great actor. He just acts like an idiot sometimes. But The Peanut Butter Falcon uh, looks like a really, really great movie. And the last movie, uh, the movie I teased at the top of the episode, Dr. Sleep. Now, Warner Brothers likes to do this thing where they put out teaser trailers and they basically just put out either a scene of the movie or a three-minute teaser. Warner Brothers. If it goes past a minute and a half, it ain't a teaser anymore. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Dr. Sleep dropped its first quote-unquote teaser, but it was still a long trailer of Dr. Sleep. This is a sequel to The Shining. Now, this is also a book, so it's not just some story they made up. They're going to adapt it from Stephen King's novel. Um, I love The Shining. It's one of my all-time favorite horror films. And, you know, when you have Mike Flanagan, uh, who has done films like Hush, uh, uh, Before I Wake, uh, let me click on his name real fast, Gerald's Game, great one, uh, Oculus, great one, and he uh, also directed and uh, edited and co-wrote the big hit last year from Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House, which is a fantastic show. He is, I thought James Wan was it, but he's kind of been trailing off and doing more producing and more directing like, you know, Aquaman and, uh, you know, Fury 7. Mike Flanagan is the best horror director in the game right now. Um, I thought it was James Wan. He was there for a while, but then he decided to kind of go off the beaten path and do other stuff. Mike Flanagan is the man. Uh, everything that he touches is great. I don't think I've seen a bad thing from him yet. Uh, and that could be just me not seeing all of his filmography. But everything I've seen, whether it be Netflix TV shows or Netflix movies or um, uh, like Annabelle Creation, which we brought up earlier, he is fantastic. Um, please watch his stuff. He's got such a great eye for how he reveals his scares, how he edits his movies, and just the slow building of tension that he always provides in his movies. 
is really, really great. But Dr. Sleep follows Danny, um, which is the kid from The Shining, uh, as he grows up. And he starts to see, you know, visions of when they lived in the, uh, you know, the, the, the house and seeing Red Rum and all this stuff from, you know, what his dad experienced. Uh, and, and that's pretty much what, what it is. Just it's, it's his past coming to haunt him. And, you know, Ewan McGregor plays Danny Torrance. Great casting, uh, by the way. <laughs> it looks just like him. Uh, did not know Jacob Tremblay was in it. That's pretty great. Um, and then Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, I hope this is the hit for her because she's been having a string of clunkers recently. We're about to talk about that soon. Um, yeah, uh, it just uh, it looks right up Mike Flanagan's alley. Uh, this trailer, if you were to play it in front of me, you were to ask me, who did this movie? I would tell you Mike Flanagan. It's the way he utilizes cinematography, his editing, like I said, and the way he paces out scares. Also, he's a real big fan of green. Um, if you look at most of his stuff, he's got like green hues in a lot of the scenes or a lot of green in the frame. I, I don't know why he picks that color, but he's a real big fan of green, and uh, I, I love it. And that's one of the distinctions I can tell if it's a Mike Flanagan film or not is the way he utilizes uh, uh, green in the cinematography. So, um, yeah, I can't wait. comes out November 8th. Uh, please hurry up. Give it to me now. Um, I don't know how it's going to do, to be honest with you, with uh, audiences. Because The Shining is, um, you know, for lack of a better term, old. It's an older film. <laughs> and, you know, when you make sequels to older films... It's a risk, and I don't know if people are going to be interested in the Doctor Sleep. I don't know if because this is going to be one of Mike Flanagan's biggest movies. I think the biggest thing he's ever done. If you exclude the Haunting of Hill House, which is a it's a long TV show, which you equate it to a thirteen hour long movie, but this is theatrical. This is going to be costing a lot. It's going to be in a lot of theaters. This is the biggest thing he's ever done, and I fear that it's going to fail. And it's not because of Mike Flanagan, well, hopefully not, uh, of his uh, direction, but just because people aren't interested. And I don't know how Warner Brothers is going to push this movie. It's going to be interesting to see how the marketing kind of rolls out. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to it indeed. So a uh, three-way tie between this, The Peanut Butter Falcon, and Wild Rose, and I'll even throw Ready or Not in there. It was a pretty good uh, couple weeks overall for uh, for trailers. Um I had to admit a couple of them just because, you know, of time restraints. But, uh, Joel, out of all of those, you can only pick one. Of all those, which one do you want to see? Probably Dr. Sleep. Yes. Um, yeah, because I, I, I adore The Shining. Um, it's a great piece of filmmaking. It's also definitely Stephen King's favorite adaptation of his work. Um, I'm just <laughs> he, kidding. But, he hates it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's a great movie, and I'm I haven't you know watched the trailer. It's been tough for me not to because I've been hearing it's a great it's a great piece of um, of advertising. But yeah, I I just I'm gonna stay away. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the movie uh, cold, and um, yeah, I, I can't wait for that. All right, so. This week's this couple weeks news um, unearthed a couple of interesting bits. So the first one, okay. So uh, Chase, have you watched Transparent? No, but that's the one with uh, uh, 
it had it had Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, yes, Tambor. Uh, yeah, I, for I was I was thinking of his last name. I was like Jeffrey something. Yes, uh, I am aware of the show and I'm aware of his. Uh, he won the Emmy right for it. Yeah, he yeah he's right. uh, he's kind of been pushed out of it because of because um, the yeah the yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, it's reaching its finale. Uh, apparently, it's about his funeral or uh, the character. I mean, his character's funeral, I should say. Um, but anyway, so the creator of Transparent, Jill Soloway, is apparently going to be ta- tackling a Red Sonja movie. <laughs> now, it's so weird. Uh, I don't have any thoughts about this because I I haven't watched Transparent. I don't know anything about Soloway. Um. I did not even know that the name of the creator of Transparent was Jill Soloway until I saw this news piece. But I don't know how much in terms of like box office box office potential this has because the only thing really is is a is a um, she's kind of D list in terms of comic characters. Um, and also the movie that she brief she previously was a character in. Uh, wasn't so popular. It, it was actually kind of remembered for being pretty bad. It was the one with uh, she was played by Bridget Nelson Nielsen, and it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Um, but this was notable because they went with a filmmaker whose previous creation was um, a show about a transgender character, and they've chosen her as a replacement of Brian Singer who was the person previously attached. So one, do you have any feelings about this at all? And two, are you as amused as I am about sort of the Hollywood karma, uh, (laughs) here in replacing that director with this director? I, I just, I just have fun with that bit of, uh, of information. And do you have the same amount of fun as I do? Yes, uh, a lot of fun to be had. Um, I have no skin in this game. Uh, I've never yeah. seen Transparent. Uh, I think what it boils down to is if you can find any replacement, whether it be uh, this person, that person, that person, or a trash can to replace Brian Singer, <laughs> I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, so that's just sort of honestly less of a what do you think than I'm just telling people because there might be Transparent fans out there. Uh, there might be Red Sonja fans. There might be fans of both. Uh, and that is the news item now. All right. This next thing is really weird because it's it's been interesting to see this late stage of Ron Howard's career um, take shape. Because he's been doing a lot of really like different pr- projects every single time. He did a concert movie with Jay-Z that I don't think has come out yet, but I know that he directed one. Um, he just did a, uh, a documentary that just came out about Luciano Pavarotti um, that got pretty good notices. And now he's about to direct an animated movie um, because there is – of course, he's a co-founder, I believe, in Imagine Entertainment um, with Brian Grazer, his producing partner. And they are uh, they are pairing up with Animal Logic, uh, which has – which is an Australian company that's been behind um, – I think maybe, I guess, distribution for the Lego Movie franchise and Happy Feet overseas. And they're teaming up to make um, a series of animated movies. Uh, The first one is the one we know about, which is the one being directed by Howard. It's called The Shrinking of Treehorn. And it's uh, based on a uh, a story from 1971 by Florence Perry Hyde and illustrated by Edward Gorey in which a boy 
uh, starts to shrink and his parents don't notice. Um, so that's pretty fun. It's apparently going to be in the animation style of the drawings in the book, which is very kind of crude uh, pencil drawings. So that's pretty cool. I, I think that that's, that's very interesting. Um, the others are going to be one called Rainbow Serpent. Uh, it's going to be scripted by Stuart Beatty of Pirates of the Caribbean, and it is based on an Aboriginal Australian um, uh, sort of a myth, I guess. And uh, then there's Zero, which is going to be directed by Carlos Stevens um, and written by the writers of the Angry Birds movie, too, um, which explores the connection between family and technology in the vein of Inside Out, which is not a phrase I expected, but it's going to be distributed by Warner Brothers. And then uh, Mutnik is an, a live-action hybrid that will tell the story of the of a, um, uh, a space-time continuum-traveling dog who was launched into space by the Russians only to re- return home as an evolved creature, which is really cool. Uh, there's nothing more about that. There's no director attached or anything, or any even a distributor. It's just being produced by these companies. So... Interesting news all around. I just find it fascinating that at this point in his career, Ron Howard is, is moving toward an animated film. Um, so do these projects sound interesting to you? Yeah. I, you know, uh, Ron Howard is one of those uh, yes directors where, like, you know, he gets a project and most likely says yes to it. And it's not a bad thing. Um, he gets the job done, whether it be, uh, you know, like like Solo, a Star Wars story, like he came in and he got the job done. Um, I'm actually surprised he hasn't tackled anything animated in his career. I mean, if you look right. at his uh, his films that he directed, the two closest ones that would even even touch that genre would be, uh, um, you know, How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Willow. Probably. Right. Those are oh, the, like, yeah. the only yeah. two that would even come close to that genre in terms of transferring from live action to animation everything else he's done are mostly heavy dramas and so uh it'd be very interesting to see uh kind of what he does of course thinking back on it i mean he's all over the place in terms of his what he directs i mean he's he's the guy who directed both how the grinch stole christmas and cinderella man true um you know frost nixon and the dilemma uh, which the missing. Was, it's, it's like the missing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and then going back in his career too. You know, it's like in the '90s he had um, the paper, and also Apollo 13. <laughs> you know, and also Ed TV. You know, he's he's a uh, he's an odd one whenever he picks his his projects. So I guess maybe I shouldn't be as surprised. I'm just, I I guess I'm just uh, more delighted. I guess is the word I I should have chosen. But yeah, it's uh it's really interesting for sure. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, so the next bit of news is kind of a twofold one. It, they both regard Blum, Blumhouse. Um, so the first one is that they are pairing up with Paramount to make another Paranormal Activity movie. Now, I am a big fan of sort of the three that are directly tied to each other. The the trilogy or the oh, wait. No, there was a fourth one, too. I forgot about the fourth one. Um, <laughs> there was also a fifth one and a sixth one. Well, well, but there were four that were directly connected to each other. Then yes. there were two kind of spinoffs. I didn't see the last one, which was uh, whatever it was called, the, go- the Ghost Dimension. It, it was awful. Um, yeah, that's what I that's what I heard. It was also the lowest earner uh, for them. So um, of the movie, even though you know it still made money and and made all of its money back. Um, but 
you know, I didn't like I didn't like four or the marked ones, uh, but I really like the other three. So, you know, I mean, if they can get somebody to direct it who's good, then great. Uh, I'm all for it. I just don't care. Um, even if it is Blumhouse, you know, they're going back to, um, uh, wait, no, was it, was it Blum who did the first one? E... No. It wasn't. That's no, right. Okay. Cause it was I, Orin... I think, I think Oren Pelly did yeah, mostly Orin everything Pelly. himself. Yeah. He produced, I think that Blum came in. I, I thought that he had his hand in this, in this franchise at some point, but Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I don't know. But I did love the first first movie. I think the third is insanely underrated. Uh, it has some of the best scares. And it was uh, the Catfish directors making their first kind of explicitly uh, fictional movie. Um, although I I, uh, I also think the Catfish was main, mainly fictional. But um, he, he, he was a producer on uh, all of them. Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay. So yeah, this makes I guess I guess this makes sense if they want to bring something back. Then you know it, it's another thing that he can produce for like ten dollars and make seven hundred billion dollars on it. Um, <laughs> so because that's uh, it's an exaggeration, but it's a fitting one for for Blumhouse. Um, you know I, I I'm sort of in between caring and not caring. I I I just I don't know. Uh, what's what's your thought and what's your history with the franchise? So I, I, I'm kind of with you. Uh, I love the first three. Uh, the first one is uh, very famous in my life because I, I saw it in the middle of the day at like 3 p.m. Uh, because this was a phenomenon. I don't, I don't know if you guys are aware of this because this was 10 years ago, which, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Paranormal Activity was a huge smash hit. It was one of those movies that would play in like a couple cities, right? And they would push that uh, marketing of people getting scared coming out of the theaters and like, oh, do you want this? Demand it in your city. So basically Paramount held you hostage and uh, had you vote on your city uh, in order to get it. And that's how it gained popularity. It was an interesting marketing tool, but it worked because the movie cost like $15,000 and it made it like over $200 million worldwide. $15,000. That's all Oren Pelly spent on it. It's it's kind of insane. It was a huge phenomenon and spawned off, you know, six sequels, uh, including you know the spinoff with the 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 marked ones. Love the first one. Love the second one. I'm with you. The third one is definitely the best one out of the entire thing. And it it, it the whole the the first three are like the best. It's like if you want to watch some pretty interesting found footage movies, I would say those are worth your time. I didn't really care for four. Uh, the marked ones was only good because at the very end, I'm gonna go ahead and just spoil it for you guys. At the very end, the kid goes in the closet door. He comes into the house of the um, the original film. So mm. there's like a like this portal that carries you, uh, which I guess somewhat makes sense to me because I mean you're dealing a lot with like paranormal, like crazy stuff. So I'm like, okay, I can suspend my disbelief. But I thought that was actually kind of a, a neat little way to tie it in. And then paranormal activity, ghost dimensions terrible did not like it whatsoever that was the same it makes me mad because that was the same day i saw uh steve jobs and um 
as you guys know, I have Crohn's. I can't control my bathroom uh, habits. I, I try my best to sit through movies, but if I honestly cannot hold it, I got to go. I sat through Paranormal Activity Ghost Dimensions just fine. My body was like, you're fine. You're not going to go anywhere. I'm sitting in the middle of the row of Steve Jobs. Oh, you got to go. Get up. Are you kidding me? So I had to miss like 10 minutes of that movie, but uh, my body decided I, I had to watch Ghost Dimensions. Um, <laughs> so that, that's kind of my, my history with it. I, uh, sure. Um, you know, the Ghost Dimensions left such a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know whether they're going to continue it or like this this through storyline that they're going to do with you know like Katie and all that stuff from the first film or if they're going to start something new. I would be curious to see how they're going to play the whole found footage scene because that was a huge trend for a while. Paranormal Activity uh, didn't invent that. It, it mainly started out with uh, Blair Witch back in '99. But Paranormal Activity revitalized that that subgenre, and it lasted for years and years and years and years. And we got stuff like um, Apollo 13, Chernobyl Diaries, or whatever the heck that was called. I mean, we got (laughs) everything. And so um, I don't know if audiences are going to like the found footage style anymore. I got to be honest. I'm kind of tired of it, too. So maybe if they can do something a little different, um, make it fresh make it new i'd be down for it but i'm not gonna say i'm jumping up uh up and down super excited for it. but sure why not i'd be curious to see uh what he would do uh with the seventh one well interestingly enough so there's this um there's this company and 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 chase knows what it is i think that it was it was a different name at the time but it's the sly fox club um, uh right, right there was the more Mor- or something like that where they they hold screenings like a month and a half in advance or something to try to build buzz in the city. That's how I saw Steve Jobs actually. Saw so it um, I think about a month and a half early because of that. And I also saw Paranormal Activity three that way. That was the first time. That was my first ever Morock screening back in 2011. And so yeah, I saw it before any sort of buzz or before. I think it was actually the first one they were holding. And I, as I remember, I believe that there was a camera in there recording our reactions. So that was a pretty cool thing. I think that they used that later on in the um, in the marketing. But yeah, way back when Paranormal Activity was coming out, I I did demand it. I went on and voted because I had heard about this crazy thing that had been it had been uh, it had been around sort of uh, the festival circuit, the midnight movie festival festival circuit for a couple of years. Uh, people don't realize this, but Paranormal Activity might have come out in 2009, but it was shot in 2006, and it was shown for the first time in 2007, before even Cloverfield came out, or Quarantine, or whatever. The 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 couple of attempts in 2008 to bring the the found footage uh, thing back, and I'd been hearing about this this crazy experience that was extremely slow burn with this wild ending, and whenever. Um, it started making its rounds for people to demand it. I was, I was right there. I was just like, okay, I want this in my city. And it came to my city. Uh, and it was an interesting process too, because it wasn't, it wasn't simply a matter of it having a release date in 2009. I think that it was ultimately assigned one and it came out on a certain weekend or something like that after this cycle of demanding it happened. Because I saw it, I think a couple of weeks before it actually 
technically came out. And it was and it was at a it wasn't even a screening. I paid for it and everything. But it was it was, you know, it was an actual showing. It was a showtime. It just wasn't an official showtime. And it was the only one that day. I remember um, that it was kind of I, I remember thinking it was lucky that I was not working that day because I really wanted to see this thing. Man, it, it was it was an unusual way to spread all the word about this. And um, I remember that that was one of the first instances where I was able to tell our friend Mark about something that he wasn't super aware of. He saw it because I did. Um, and it ended up being an honorable mention for him that year. Uh, and he was able to, I think he was able to do sort of like what I did. Um, it had already been demanded and, and scheduled at that point for Chicago and he was able to see it that way. But yeah, it was, it was, it was unusual. It was an unusual thing. So I have, I have a, I have a good experience with that. I mean, the second movie I just saw when it came out, that was a traditional, um, release structure. It opened on Halloween weekend or the week before something like that. Halloween in 2010. Um, and I just saw that when it came out, but yeah, the first and third movies, I was able to kind of, um, I'm, I'm sort of proud of this. I was able to be part of the buzz building for that, um, in some way, uh, for both of those. And, and that was a lot, of, that was a lot of fun. So anyway, yeah. Um, all right. So the next bit of news, uh, regarding Blumhouse is that they are doing another remake of black Christmas. Now I'm a terrible person who has never seen the original black Christmas, uh, I know that it is very formative in certain ways for the genre. Uh, people are people always, uh, for at least some time, said that it wasn't Halloween that created slasher movies; it was Black Christmas, and that's sort of a situation with you know with Paranormal Activity versus Blair Witch Project, where except maybe in reverse, where people kind of just automatically assume that it was Halloween that built this, and it was Black Christmas in reality. Of course, Halloween popularized it because it was a huge hit. But Black Christmas did come first. It was the 1974 film. It was um, remade first in 2006. There was a very poorly received movie um, that came out that year. Uh, just to give y'all, uh, to, just to give y'all kind of some context and and chase some context too, to bring up our friend Mark Dusick again. He gave the the 2006 movie half of a star. So <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I think that it was one that he had to pay for or something because I know that it didn't uh, screen for critics. It was really poorly uh, received. Now, um, it's going to be remade again uh, by way of director Sophia Takal, who has been doing a lot of work for Blumhouse on their Into the Dark series on Hulu. Um, I'm not sure which – I haven't watched any of those. I'm not sure which one she directed unless she, direct more, she directed more than one. But, of course, this is um, – a Christmas set stalker movie. Um, and it follows a bunch of sorority girls, you know, on, on campus and all of that. Not a super, you know, like revolutionary plot. I've heard that the original movie's pretty good. Um, and yeah, so it kind of makes sense that it's Blum doing this since he did this for Halloween. So it's going to be starring, um, uh, a bunch of names, but the most, Significant one is Imogen Poots from Green Room. Um, she's gonna be do, she's gonna be starring in this. Um, it's gonna be co-scripted by to call with April Wolf, so it's female led, which is really interesting. Uh, very cool that they're that they're going that direction. 
um, with the creative uh, people behind it. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how it is. Um, how how it is. I need to I need to catch up obviously with the original at least before I see this. But it was a surprise thing. It actually is coming out this year, December thirteenth. There had been no word about it before this, um, and now you know they're just dropping it on us. So pretty cool. Not as I mean not as cool as something like Ten Cloverfield Lane, you know, having a trailer and being announced, you know like what was it a month or something before it came out but pretty cool that they're that they're uh coming in on this one so have you seen the original black christmas yeah um i've seen the original and i've seen the remake um before i even tell you my thoughts listen jason bloom to me is like a family member that i love sometimes hate sometimes and just is simply confused by sometimes uh (laughs) for instance the paranormal activity 7 story little confused sure go for it i'm still confused this story makes sense and this guy uh is super smart to release it on december friday the 13th of this Mm. year so not only is it uh does it apply around to the actual christmas time you get to release it on a friday the 13th that's a double win right there uh as um scott mendelson from forbes pointed out on his uh facebook so i'm like that's that's super smart uh, Black Christmas, it's like you said, it's not anything that's like revolutionary in the stalker genre, but it does have one of the most um, famous reveals or twists of uh, the killer. Um, mm. Not necessarily the person, but maybe where the person is at. And so mm. when you see the movie for the first time, you're like, you just never think about it, and when uh, and I'm sure back in the 70s, people lost their minds when they saw it. But it does have a very revolutionary twist that uh, I would even compare it to like the. Um, it, it would it would be in the the same likes of uh, I don't know like uh, the end of Friday the Thirteenth or the end of Sixth Sense. Like it, it's up there for people that have never seen it, and I, I think. Maybe in today's times, I don't think people would be as wowed if they do that same twist. But back in the day, and of course when I saw it as a kid, uh, I, I was amazed by it. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty clever. Uh, the only reason I uh, saw the 2006 version is because I was 16 years old and I had a crush on Michelle uh, Trachtenberg. And uh, I, I was like, oh, I want to watch a movie with her in it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, 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 now looking back on it... Um, it's it's not a good movie. Um, it's definitely something that I, I bought just because I found someone attractive to be in it. And then when you you sit down and you actually watch, you're like, I don't really want to own this anymore. So I, I think I um, <laughs> gave it to a pawn store at some point. So yeah, I, I think this is a um, good move by them. Uh, you know, if they can, um, I didn't really care for it as much as other people, and I'm still looking forward to the sequel of Halloween. Um, but if Jason Blum can bring back Halloween from the dead and make that much money on that budget that Halloween had, then why not take a stab at uh, bringing back like a black Christmas or something? I I think it's, it's worth their time for this type of property versus like uh, paranormal activity seven. So once again, one of those family members that you love, hate, and is just simply confused by, but this is one of those stories that I actually kind of want to see happen in theaters. All right, so the next bit of news makes total sense, um, well, sort of. So 
there is a Hunger Games prequel book in the works, and it's coming out uh, next May. So, of course, because Lionsgate is the home of the movies, they've already been planning a an adaptation. So, um, it takes place uh, 64 years before the events of the original trilogy, so well before Katniss is even a, a thought. Um, yeah, so it should... I, I'm pretty sure that this is probably yeah i'm pretty sure this is probably going to maybe regard the creation of the games because i think i think that i remember in the book i've read the books i think i remember in the book they mentioned that it had been you know several decades since the creation of the game so i'm assuming that this is about that um but there's no real known there's no real uh oh no 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 so okay so it's going to take place that's right. So the the Hunger Games that we see uh with Katniss the first one is the 74th. So this will so this will probably be the 10th annual. Um kind of redundant to do another Hunger Games event. So maybe there's going to be something else there uh and 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 some sort of reason that it's a that it's a prequel story but it is from Suzanne Collins. It's you know presumably going to involve some of the same producers um if not the same director uh in uh, Francis Lawrence, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I like the movies a lot. Um, I think that they're really good. You know, I don't have any skin in the game in terms of the books. They're, they're good. Um, they're good books, but you know, it's not like I'm super connected to them emotionally or anything. So I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to hurry to read this new one, but I'm certainly interested in, in, in a prequel. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating world that was built for sure. Um, so clearly they, they made a bunch of money, even though they kind of backslid, um, after the second movie box office wise, I don't know how successful this will be, but it should be interesting. So do you have any particularly strong feelings about this one? Uh, no. Uh, even though okay. I, I like the first one, I love the second one. I even like, uh, Mockingjay part one quite a bit. Uh, in Mockingjay part two. I think is is good. Uh, just you know, the ending was just like well, it's a little underwhelming. But you know, I I still think the overall experience of all four of them, uh, one of the YA novel adaptations that I've actually enjoyed watching. So, um, as far as a prequel goes, I don't know. Uh, it, I think it's a little little too late at this point. I, I think people's interests have just uh, gone by the wayside. And I could be completely wrong. Someone could be listening to this right now and be like, you know, uh, screw you, uh, Chase. Uh, I-, I love this franchise. I'm willing to watch anything. And that's true. I mean, there uh, there <laughs> is a small fan base out there that will probably watch anything that has to do with Hunger Games. But if you're asking me specifically, I think it's a little too late for it. Um, and I- I'm only looking at it as a business side. The first Hunger Games, huge hit for Lionsgate. The second one, even more so. The third one did did good, and then the fourth one kind of dipped a little bit more. So I think people's interest, if you're reviewing it from a uh, like a money perspective, it's you know the interest is losing. I don't think this is going to do well. Maybe if you make it small scale, you know maybe half the budget of like what the first one was, like make it even uh, smaller, it could work. Uh, but yeah, I just um, I don't really personally care. 
All right. Um, so we know that that is Chase's favorite bit of news this week. Okay. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to take a hard pass on that. <laughs> All right. So the last bit of news before we get into our reviews is that uh, Bo Burnham is going to be writing songs for the Sesame Street movie starring Anne Hathaway that's coming up. Um, this is awesome because, of course, he has his, uh, his roots in sort of um, viral building songs. So he's obviously got a history with – writing songs that are immediately catchy and you need that for something like a Sesame street movie. Um, it's just, it's, you know, people are going to think it's an odd move to make after he directed eighth grade. Why not, you know, direct another eighth grade type thing, but one, he can do what he wants Two, this is perfect for him because again, it's catchy songs. And he was one of the people who (laughs) he had a comedy career making YouTube videos. I was a big fan of his, um, and yeah, it's just, it's, I, I think that this is perfect. You know, he'll have to tone down the raunch a little bit, obviously, but, um, but I, I, I like this and I didn't, you know, this is, this is kind of bad of me, but I didn't see Moana. I did, I do know the, um, uh, the soundtrack very well. We play it pretty consistently at work. It's um, popular. One of our one of our employees is a big Disney soundtrack fan, so we we play a lot of them, and we play that one. And of course, Lin Manuel Miranda, after his you know after taking off in Hamilton, took on that, and it was extremely successful. People love that soundtrack. I think that this will have the same effect. Somebody who has broken in with um, a lot of performative art and um, uh, kind of a, a exploded into, into fame overnight. Um, maybe Miranda did that a little, a little quicker than Burnham, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think that this is a perfect fit. And as everybody in the entire world is a fan of Sesame street with no exceptions, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think that this is going to be uh, a tremendously entertaining, entertaining movie. Weird that they're releasing it in January, 2021. I, I would think that that would go somewhere else, but whatever. I'm, I'm still excited for it. Um, that's certainly – that's the only thing I know of that's coming out in 2021 uh, in January, and I'm definitely most excited for that. Um, so are you in the same boat as me? Yeah. Uh, this definitely <laughs> – this reeks of the greatness that was uh, The Muppets with Jason Siegel. I and Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that. I, yeah, I love – I, I never saw the second Muppets. I, I The it's Muppets fine. Most Wanted. Yeah, but that first movie is – The first one's fantastic. Yeah, and it's I, delightful. Yeah, and Bo Burnham actually has like – kind of the personality of like a Jason Siegel. And, you yeah. know, like you said, he, he, he is, he started out his career doing these viral uh, songs and he even does it a lot during his stand up too. Uh, he'll get on the piano and just start playing and, um, you know, you'll have your, your jokes and he's, he's really talented in that regard. And he's super funny on stage, very uh, personable on social media. And of course, Joel and I, you know, loved this movie from uh, last year. It's like, he's on a roll right now. And I think, um, it's- it's also very similar. You're you're you were dead on in comparing it to the Muppets because the Muppets songs were written or co-written by Brett Morgan or Brett something Morgan I think, um, or Brett something Brett uh, Brett McKenzie Brett McKenzie is his name. And I think that he was in Flight of the Concords. Mm. So sort of a similar situation where you have I mean uh, maybe a little more amplified in his case, but um, somebody with. A, a history of making kind of raunchy, funny music, um, 
coming around to a kid's franchise. <laughs> right. So should be interesting, should be able to add a little bit of edge because there was definitely edge to the songs in The Muppets. It was a little more, um, maybe a little bit more aggressive than the than the series it was based on. This is probably going to be the same. The well, same, I, uh, I think case. that's going to be, it's going to be interesting because The Muppets have always had an edge. Sesame yes. Street's never had yeah. an edge. So I, I'd be yeah. curious to see if Warner Brothers wants to take that, not g route but a pg route and see if they can just yeah. kind of push it just a little bit and have uh you know adults enjoy it kids enjoy it make it self-aware um yeah. and I, I think you have a hit on your hands and I, yeah. i'm not saying do this because you need to replicate the success of the muppets but that works so well that if you take sesame street down that route and i'm sure they've actually talked with Bo, and i'm sure Bo actually pitched the idea of like what if we made this self-aware what if we what if we poked fun at ourselves just at just a little bit. I mean, but also be respectful because Sesame Street's an institution. So it's like, you know, they're going to ride that that fine line. But I think hiring Bo for that is is perfect. Like, like I, I never would have thought in a million years I'd be sitting here live on air going, I can't wait to watch a Sesame Street movie in theaters. Right. It's it's much more it's much more aimed to single digit kids than the Muppets. Um, right. So you, I don't think you'd show single digit kids today the Muppet Show. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but, uh, or maybe I would, but I don't, I don't think regular people would, but, um, yeah, it's, it, it should be interesting. Should be interesting. Uh, I don't know if they've done, uh, I think the last movie that they had theatrically was that Grouchland thing. Um, the I adventures of Elmer and Grouchland. That. Yeah, I, it was pretty small. I think it was like 98 or 99 or something like that. And I know they had Follow That Bird back in the 80s, which, um, yeah. So I don't know how successful those were. Uh, they should probably you know, choose a, a route that makes sense to today's kids' audience. Um, you know, and, and I, haven't even, I haven't been watching, obviously, the, the new stuff on HBO, so I don't know how it is. Um, We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how this turns out. All right. That's it for the news. Um, we got to move on to our two reviews that we got here. So the first one that we're going to do is Toy Story 4. Now, this is – you might have heard of this movie. Um, <laughs> well, uh, wait, hold, hold on. Are you sure you want to do this one first? Because there's a lot yeah. more to discuss with this than the other one. So don't you want to get like the other one out of the way? <laughs> Uh yeah, we might as well. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, so we're gonna back up. We're gonna back up. Never mind. Not Toy Story Four. We're gonna back up a week. We're gonna talk about Men in Black International. You're right, Chase. Okay. Yeah, because this is gonna take like ten minutes. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, obviously, we like this movie a lot. Well, well. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so this is the fourth movie in the Men in Black franchise, and the first not to star Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, it's a spinoff, sort of, but it's also a direct sequel because they reference slightly some of the events um, that happened in the other movies. And a character uh, returns here, uh, played by Emma Thompson, who was in the third film. Um, all right, so the story of this one is uh, kind of twofold. It follows a, a pair of uh, new Men in Black agents, played by Chris Hemsworth and Tem uh, Tessa Thompson, as they are sent off on a mission to um, uh, to retrieve a, a, an all-powerful weapon that can do something or other 
Meanwhile, there is also a mole somewhere near the top of the Men in Black circus, uh, to use the Tinker Tailor Soldier spy phrase. Um, and that's basically it. You have some other agents here, uh, including one played by Liam Neeson, as well as a villain played by uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, and also um, – well, kind of a villain. And also a couple of threats uh, in the in the form of um, aliens who have taken the, the bodies of a pair of twin club owners played by Laurent and Larry Bourgeois. Uh, yeah, okay. Take it away, Chase. <laughs> Okay, as you can tell, uh, Joel does not want to talk about it, and that is okay. I, I will remember this movie, guys. I'm right, I'm just it, it, gonna say it right now. I I had I have my review open here because it's been more than a week. So yeah, I just I just wanted to tell y'all that. Um, Jeez, and you wanted to do this movie second. By the time we reviewed Toy Story yeah. four and got to us, be like, what is Men in Black International? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I um. Here's the deal, guys. Uh, there is a very significant chunk in my life that defined my love for movies, and that would be from 1995 to about the year 2000. And that's when I was uh, not really a infant child, but more of a developing child to where whatever I saw, I absorbed way better than, obviously, when you're five and younger. So... Men in Black is one of those movies that happened in that gap because that was a uh, ninety-seven, right? Joel, yes, it was. Yeah, yes. ninety-seven. Okay. So ninety-seven, and I was blown away by. It. I was like, "Wow, this is what movie magic is." You know, it's it's a science fiction comedy. Will Smith was at the top of his game. Tommy Lee Jones is a grump like usual. It was a fun time. I enjoyed myself. Didn't really care for the second one, and I actually enjoyed the third one quite a bit. But I'm not some diehard fan of this franchise, so I had. I had low expectations for international, uh, and I was like, hey, it could be fun. Hey, you know, hour and a half, uh, walk in, walk out, enjoy your day. And to be honest, that's exactly what it was for me. I had fun while watching it. Uh, I have some issues with it for sure, but it wasn't something that, like, annoyed me or angered me because, my God, there was a lot of people in our, our critic community that just – they threw this movie so far underneath the bus um, – I, I was surprised it was still breathing uh, and just didn't get crushed. Um, it, yeah, people just like, I mean, I don't think it deserves the 20 whatever percent of Rotten Tomatoes, but I also don't think it's a a real fresh movie. I'm going to give it a slightly good grade, but that's only because I enjoyed it in the theater. Uh, but I'm with Joel. I don't really remember much about it. But uh I, I will say this, uh, when you were filling the shoes of a Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, those are some pretty big shoes to fill. I think for the most part, I think Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth did pretty good. Um, you know, they're they're banking on the whole Thor Ragnarok uh, chemistry, which I understand. It's a business. You do you. Um, and, and like I said, I think for the most part, they did pretty good. Did they have a lot to play with? Not really. Because I, and I'm going to set aside the the drama behind this movie because the drama does kind of make me hate the movie just a tad, just because it, it was such a ugh, such a disaster behind the scenes. But setting that aside and just reviewing it as it is, they were definitely the best parts about the movie. Uh, they bounced off of each other as best as they could with their 
their improv, the script or the non-script that they had because <clears throat> they hired uh, their each writers uh, for both of them. Uh, that, that's kind of embarrassing, but uh, they did the best they could in that regard. They had enough to play in the play box, like the sandbox or whatever, with this universe, but it wasn't really enough for me to go, wow, this was such a great Men in Black film. I just thought it was a pretty good like little buddy sci-fi um, type of comedy. It, it worked for me in that regard. I think F. Gary Gray, um, not really a directorial stamp on this, just more of like, hey, he established this world pretty well, I guess, uh, but nothing really, anything that like pops out where you go, wow, that was a really well-directed scene, or wow, that was such a great stylistic choice. I wish he would do more. It was just kind of like, he was serviceable. He was a serviceable director. Nothing wrong with that. Um, kind of goes back to the whole Guy Ritchie thing with Aladdin. It's like, um, didn't really have any any stamp of approval on that one. It was just kind of like he just did his job and uh, went home after that. But uh, this one is slightly better in my, my eyes, but I'm sure Joel disagrees with that. It's fine. Um, so F. Gary Gray, fine. Um, the chemistry between the two leads, you know, pretty good for the most part. I do think, like, the actual, like, world building of MIB, um, it's there, and there's a lot of stuff that's interesting and a lot of creative uh, things, whether it be the MIB headquarters or some of the alien designs. Uh, you know, I thought Kumail Nanjiani's little alien character, he he's such a delight anytime he's in a movie, and he uh, his voice actually fits that character quite well. But, um, you know, he, he was fun. Um I think the biggest disappointments for me, honestly, were the uh, antagonist and pretty much the the climax of the ending because both of them were anticlimactic. It was just kind of like we were leading up to this point and then it just kind of fizzles out and someone let the air out of the balloon and you just watch it kind of flail until it hits the ground. Um, and so, you know, with the whole Liam Neeson thing, you know, he's... I'm not going to say what he is in the movie, but, you know his interactions with Chris Hemsworth and his overall motives. It's just like, okay, you just kind of roll your eyes a little bit. And you're like, okay, whatever. Uh, the B storyline with Rebecca Ferguson. Listen, I don't know who her agent is, but she's got to get a different agent. I'm so sick and tired of seeing her talent wasted. Why was she in this movie? Seriously? Like what, what type of character was she? Like she was just there, had a MacGuffin. They get the MacGuffin. She's never talked about again. And it's just like, what was the point of that? Ever since I saw her in Rogue Nation, I was like, wow, she's a promising actress. She's going to do some good in this business. <clears throat> Girl on the Train, <clears throat> The Greatest Showman, <clears throat> this one, and everything else in between. She was even uh, in The Kid Who Would Be King. Does anyone remember? And the Snowman. Her? Yeah, and The Snowman. It's just like, please, whoever her agent is, stop it. Um, just, I'm gonna wag my finger at you like a concerned parent. Just stop it. Um, disappointed. Um, so very forgettable on that regard, but her and Lee and Easton's characters and their storylines, so just flat and just lifeless. I was like, why, why is this the main focus? Why? Why is it? Uh, I was actually more intrigued when they introduced Tessa Thompson as a character that was introduced to aliens as a kid and growing up. And discovering the MIB headquarters and discovering the aliens exist and discovering all these worlds, that was more interesting to me than anything else in the movie. I and mean, that was just barely lived in the beginning. Oh, and speaking of her, if you're going to be 
uh, a recruit in MIB training. Show me the training. There, this is a huge nitpick, but like there was a part in the movie where Emma Thompson's like, "All right, you're hired. You're on a two week uh, training period." And then the next scene is literally just her going, "Okay, her training was great." And then she's already in the field. I'm like, "Cool. I wish, uh, I wish I could join it because it seems like the training's pretty easy." Um, so yeah, there was there was just that. Uh, Emma Thompson, sure. Uh, the action set pieces. Uh, are fine, I guess, but I know a lot of people are complaining about the uh, the CGI and the visual effects. I don't think they're all that bad, um, to be quite frank with you. Uh, most of the alien characters are pretty well done. Kind of does remind me of, you know, Men in Black Three. It's just like Men in Black One is like is pretty good, uh, uh, like a pretty good mix of live action and animation. It's very seamless, uh, but you know as technology evolves and all that stuff it we're getting a better like uh eye for all this stuff and we can definitely tell and so there is some um blemishes for sure with the green screen and maybe some questionable choices but i think for the most part the cgi is is pretty good and it adds to the world building makes it a little bit more more fun to watch i mean there's really nothing more to say um i here's the deal i i'm going to dip on my original grade because i originally gave it a b which I, I still firmly believe that it's a fun movie. Uh, it's it's breezy entertainment. It's not anything that you go to ponder about. Uh, you, you leave the theater and you're like, okay, I had a fun time. Would I recommend it to people? It's like, I, I don't know, maybe matinee. Definitely not full price. But, you know, with my uh, forgetfulness of some of this stuff as the weeks progress, that does hinder my grade. And, of course, with the whole Liam Neeson thing and Rebecca Ferguson – they're very uh, pivotal to the storylines. I just think they're kind of worthless uh, when it, when we get to the end of it. But I think overall, I had a decent to good experience to where I'm comfortable with giving it a B- and calling it a day. I never want to discuss this movie again. It's just like, hey, I had fun while watching it, but I, I, I'm done. <laughs> so, um, yeah, MIB International. <sighs> Don't make any more. I think I uh, put this uh, franchise to bed, maybe come back uh, into it about 10 to 20 years from now, maybe 100 years from now, maybe when Joel and I are dead, and then you can do it. But I, I think uh, for right now, this just tells me, and the box office tells me, we're not interested. And uh, I think not having Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones was a huge factor in it. So, um, yeah, disappointing on that front. I had fun while seeing it. I know a lot of people disagree with me. That's fine. Uh, but B minus C plus, it's like I, I toggle back and forth between those two, but uh, I'll, I'll stick with the B minus. It's a lot of asterisks for a B minus, buddy. Hey, but there, anyway, there you go. <laughs> uh, I just mean that you're pointing out you you tended to point out the the things you didn't like more the more than the things you did. But but um, I, I think what it boils down to is that it's a film that didn't annoy me. It's a film that didn't make me angry. I had fun while watching it, and I walked out going, "Hey, am I going to remember that by tomorrow? Probably not." But I, in an actual experience for that hour and a half, it was it was uh, good for good for me at least. Hmm. Okay. Well, it didn't annoy me either, but I didn't really like it very much. I I think that um, the major problem with something like this is really the screen is the is two things uh, kind of overriding uh, things that I, I have a problem with. Um, First, though, the thing that I don't have a problem with really is the chemistry of the actors. I think that 
Hemsworth and Thompson are fine. Uh, I don't know if this is banking on their Thor Ragnarok success or coasting on it. Um, I think it's probably coasting on it more so. But they do have a tremendous personality and chemistry. That's that's definitely not not deniable. And I think that if if I guess if you're if you're mostly just sold by that, uh, you can have a good time. But then there's everything else to deal with. And I think that the screenplay is just exposition overload. Um, everything is explaining the plot at all times. There's nothing else. Um, and then you have the fact that the weapons of MacGuffin that we never really understand. The that's, identity. That's true. Of, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, the the identity of mole is is I actually put it. I'm gonna put it how I put it in my review. The identity of mole is so obvious that the very act of giving us a red herring or two is kind of an insult. It's so true. Um, I remember yeah. when they revealed the movie. I was like, I called this out when the movie started. I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's gonna be who the mole is. Yeah, and it's it's so obvious. Um, and, and yeah, so there's that, and this this movie has no personality. The, the, there's there's a little bit of there's there's some chemistry between the actors but other than that it's just you know there's no visual personality the cinematography is extremely bright and uh blunt and um basic looks like a tv pilot um the action scenes are all by the numbers there's no character to them um it's just a lot of effects work and bombast uh they're not bad action scenes as they play out i think that they're better and this is a better more confident movie than uh than dark phoenix was but um in terms of the the real stinkers of the summer for me that's that definitely takes the cake that takes the cake this is not as bad as dark phoenix was for me but i i just i walked in and i sat down and i had a drink and i watched a movie a drink not a not an alcoholic drink uh, <laughs> but I sat down, I experienced something playing on the screen that did not interact, interact or engage with me at all. And then I walked out and that was it. That's all. And so it's okay to say you had a, a drink or two. Remember I had two beers before Hellboy and I still thought it was terrible. So, no, but <laughs> I mean, anyway, it, it could be worse. It could be men in black two, which, which men in black two is, is bad, is genuinely bad. Uh, if, if people don't remember that movie is 88 minutes, including, uh, the credits. Um, and it shows it barely has any, it barely even qualifies as a movie. This is not, this is not men in black two, but that's my favorite criticism. It, it, it barely qualifies. <laughs> it barely qualifies a as a movie. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't even qualify as a blockbuster because it has like 10 minutes of action at the end and that's it. <laughs> But it barely qualifies as a movie because it it's just yeah. So oh, yeah. this is this is an entire half an hour longer, um, and for that I guess it's automatically a little more dignified. But the but the problem is that that the first and third movies, both of which I admire a great deal, um, you know more so the first one, which uh, definitely lives uh, definitely um, holds up to today. Uh, I watched it again um about a day before i saw this and it's clever um it's also really kind of timely in terms of what it's saying about illegal immigration there's a lot that it's saying don't don't underestimate that folks and it's subversive i think that this one is there's not a bit a, even a tiny bit of subversion in it nothing to ward us off from the fact that we are simply watching something play out 
with no sense, no consistent personality, because it's it's shifting from these you know sincere action sequences to the stuff involving the little alien voiced by Camille Nanjiani, uh, who I don't like. Uh, in I mean, I like him generally, but this role is not worth him, and it's annoying. Um, it's just shifting between random comedy and and the sincerity of the plot and it just it didn't make any it didn't make any any kind of impression on me other than i sat down and watched a movie play out in front of my face and and i i want a little bit more than that um and you know i know that a lot of people are are like but joel you like godzilla king of the monsters and okay but (laughs) (laughs) okay you got me there (laughs) yeah i mean i can't really make i I, you know obviously everything every critic says is probably like you know intensely contradictory at any state at at, at any at any uh at any moment but uh (laughs) to to be fair and to defend you if i had to pick one to watch again i would pick godzilla too See, and that's why it's it's weird to me that you're saying that this is a B minus movie when you gave that one a C minus. Right. So, yeah, I don't understand. I, guys, I, I, I don't I think, understand how Chase's brain works. It's and I think like, it's, uh, it's also as time goes on type of deal. Okay. Where okay. you know, in the initial recordings of these reviews, you know, I do sit on these movies for quite a while, but as time keeps going, it's like maybe. Maybe it just it lessens in value for me, or maybe it gains value. Um, mm. But and I think it's also because I'm I'm super nerdy and I want to see like King Kong and Godzilla stuff. But like uh, that, because that's where my interest lies. Like I told you, I'm not really like the biggest fan of like Men in Black, so I, I had no expectations for this one. I think that's why I'm a little bit more lenient on it because I'm like, okay, that I had fun while watching it, um, but I can see where people would get angry if they are like MIB purish. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah for me i guess my problem is uh sitting on it result results in nothing because there's nothing here to sit on it's just it's just and like for godzilla king of monsters like i love the first one so much i had a lot of you know i had a lot of expectation for this that one so i mean i Mm. i guess is how i can kind of justify that interesting yeah for me it was just 114 minutes of motion uh, however, it maybe it's maybe it's not as bad as I'm making it sound. I, I'm making it sound like it's a chore. It's not. It's it's just it just doesn't give you any feelings. And for me, it just like I watched a movie and then I left the theater. Or right. in this case, I I went and saw the late night, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, saw another movie. But uh, anyway, yeah, I just. I can't yeah. disagree with you. I, everything that you said, I'm just like, oh yeah, I, I totally get it. I, I guess it's just when you see those RT numbers and you see people just like really trashing online, I just I go into them like, oh wow, this must be something like truly abysmal. And then when you watch, you're like, that wasn't all that bad. And I actually kind of had fun with it. And I think that's why I'm just a, a little bit more higher on it because I'm telling you guys right now, Twitter is like a disease. If you watch and you read too much on it, it like you go into the movie like going, oh wow, I'm expecting something really great or something really bad, and then it, it kind of, you know, you think opposite, and you're just like, man, these people are overreacting. So I don't know. Interesting. Well, I'm going with a C on it because it's not, it's not some 
disaster, but it's just, I mean, it was a disaster production, production wise. But, um, as we found out, F Gary Gray tried to flee and could not, uh, and then which, the actors hired their own writers. Like it was crazy. Yeah, it's some of the, the worst behind the scenes and, drama and, I've read. And in it's a while. interesting because they didn't, it's not like they hired bad writers. Uh, it's Matt Holloway and Art Markham who wrote the first, uh, Iron Man, but they also wrote Transformers last night. That's that's true. I was about to say, <laughs> but they also wrote Transformers last night. So I guess, <laughs> I guess I don't know. Maybe they wrote the least successful parts of Iron Man because I know that that right. that movie had like six screenwriters or something or, or whatever. <laughs> right. I can't remember, so but it had a, a bunch of like ampersand connected uh, names together. You know, like three three teams or something, three right. teams of two. So they all wrote various drafts and got credits because of it. Um, all right, so that's it. Basically, I guess see Men in Black International if you want to. You probably won't get much out of it. Um, and we're going to move on. Now we're going to review Toy Story 4 because, yeah, there's there's a lot more to talk about with this one. All right, so this one is, the, of course, the fourth movie in the Toy Story franchise. Kind of surprising because we all thought that Toy Story 3 had brought this franchise to a bittersweet and, and fitting end. Um and it is really, truly a special franchise. Uh, the uh, What we thought was a trilogy, we can't call it that anymore, it's a quadrilogy, but what we thought was a trilogy was one of the strongest, I thought, in, in terms of trilogies. You had what I think is still the best movie in the franchise, the first one, um, which is which was the first major uh, you know, feature-length computer-animated uh, blockbuster. And, and it definitely shows. And it definitely shows. Yeah, that's true. You watch it now. It's definitely 1995. But <laughs> um, but it's great. It's a great, great, great film with a great Oscar-nominated screenplay, um, partly written by Joss Whedon. Um, I think maybe he got a story credit. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, so then you had the second one, which sort of up the dramatic qualities. It, it yeah, That first movie was very innocent. Uh, in terms of it was just kind of toys have their own um, consciences and uh, you know some of them can't deal with new toys very well. Second one is about abandonment uh, in a big way. You think about the character Jesse, voiced by Joan Cusack, and the song that's dedicated to her in that movie, which uh, I have to hear on a regular basis at work because we play this the the soundtrack again, and it's it I'm always like sobbing uncontrollably in the middle of work i'm not but i could be because it's an amazing song anyway and then you had the third film which was um kind of all about wrapping this stuff up in a in a very uh fitting way moving on um you know sort of the passage of toy ownership um you know concerning the cycle of usefulness for a plaything. it's all very deep and interesting I love those movies, and I think that they're they're incredible. So, the existence of Toy Story Four is surprising because of the fact that we thought it was over, but clearly it is not because we have a new story to tell here, and it takes place about a few years after the end of the last, um, maybe maybe a few months after the end of the last one. Of course, Woody, uh, voiced by Tom Hanks, Buzz Lightyear, voiced by Tim Allen, Jesse. And all the familiar faces have been transferred to the ownership of Bonnie, uh, the little girl from the last movie. She's voiced by Madeline McGraw here. Um, 
she's entering kindergarten and her fondness for these toys has kind of waned a bit in the few months since Andy uh, uh, put them all in her care. Uh, because of that, she's very lonely on her first day of kindergarten and her parents, uh, you know, want to take her on a road trip after kindergarten orientation is over. Her parents are voiced by Jay Hernandez and Lori Allen. And during this orientation, she creates a friend in the form of Forky, who's made out of, um, a uh, popsicle stick, a spork, pipe cleaner, and googly, googly eyes. And suddenly, we have the case of a create of a created toy, a handmade toy, finding some sort of existence and conscience, and suffering a crisis because of it. He's voiced in a perfect performance by Tony Hale. Um, the plot picks up with that road trip that they take in their recreational vehicle. Forky escapes. And Woody goes on after him, feeling responsible because he was actually the one who uh, secretly provided all of the uh, the um, the parts of Forky to Bonnie. So he feels responsible for this creation, and he goes on, and uh, they get trapped in a uh, an antique store from hell under the tyrannical overlord tyranny, whatever I'm trying to say, of Gabby Gabby, uh, who's one of those porcelain dolls kind of porcelain dolls um with the creepy eyes voiced by christina Hendricks um in a really effective performance too um she wants to she longs for the attention of a child she was recycled for a factory defect and she wants to make that right and that's her kind of her plot here um obviously there's a lot going on in this movie uh particularly because we also we we also have the return of bo peep uh, she was last seen in the second movie because she had been thought lost. I, they 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 hinted in Toy Story three that she had been lost. Um, actually, she had been given away, and then she was lost. Uh, and she's once again voiced by Annie Potts, uh, and she's now kind of this adventurer, uh, getaway getaway uh, sort of high adventure person uh, uh, character who is no longer just in the back the backdrop of his story, which is very uh, very nice, and I'll get into that later on. But, um, yeah, so there's a lot going on here. Um, all right, Chase, take it away. What did you think of Toy Story 4? So, as you guys know, um, as Joel pointed out, this is one of the most important franchises of his and I's life, for sure. And the fact that we actually got to grow up with it is pretty special. Um, and, and we say that because we were around the same age as Andy was, um, when he gave all of his toys away in Toy Story 3, so it's more of an emotional tie for us, is a perfect trilogy, it is one of the best trilogies, uh, definitely pioneered the way for, you know, uh, full-on CGI animated films, like, this is an important franchise in... The industry in most of everyone's lives that were born in 1990 uh, or the early 90s, it's just it's a really special franchise. And so when you hear about the idea of a fourth one, even going back all the way to when uh, Rashida Jones and her writing partner were um, attached to it, it's just like, why are we why are we doing this? Because three ended so perfectly. And so Joel and I were going to be super harsh on it. 
when it came out, you know, with all the trailers and everything, we're just like, I, I still don't know. How is this going to turn out? And so, you know, there's a lot of skepticism going into this fourth one, and rightfully so. You know, Joel and I are almost 30 years old, and it's just, it still kind of amazes me that for a franchise that came out when we were wee little kids, it's like, it's still going. It's, it's, it's kind of incredible. And so, seeing the fourth one, sitting down, and finally watching the same, and walking out of it, I gotta tell you, while it not... It may not be my favorite one out of the four. It is still worthy of the Toy Story name. Um, The more I thought about it, the more I kind of love it. And what I find so interesting about it is that these movies have always been about these toys uh, as characters. And we follow these toys along for their adventures. Most of them pretty scary adventures. Um most of them just interacting with each other. Most of them comical adventures. I mean, it, it's just... We just want to see them survive and get get back to their owners. Because in some way, shape, or form, they always get lost and they have to go back, right? Um, what I liked about this one was what director Josh Cooley did and made a simple story. If you look at the grand scope of this entire movie... It probably has the most simple story out of all four of them. They literally go from, like Joel said, they set up everything in the beginning, and they go on this road trip. They get lost. They go to this RV park that's five miles down the road. There's a carnival next door. There's an antique store next to all three of those. So everything happens within a, within walking distance. But even though this story seems pretty simple, this is one of the most thought-provoking uh, installments and really focuses on characters. Like this is a character study, uh, and we focus on a lot of um, different crises that each character is facing. Whether it be Woody and his loyalty to uh, Bonnie in finding his purpose in life, whether it be Bo Peep's tr- struggling to find her purpose, uh, whether it be you know Key and Peele's uh, bunny and rabbit trying to find owners. Whether it be Gabby Gabby trying to find, you know, like a, a new part for her to try to get loved by a child for the first time in her life in like many, many decades. Whether it be Duke Kaboom trying to um, fulfill his destiny of completing stunts. Like everyone has a journey and uh, um, everyone has this type of goal that they're going after in this, you know, uh, kind of thought-provoking manner where they're just like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I need help. You know, how do I get from this point to that point? And it's kind of interesting to see all these people's, or in this case, toys' journeys. And it was kind of really effective on that front because, as Joel said, you know, the first movie is very simple in its nature. The second one focuses on abandonment. And the third one is letting go. This one is like people are, or, or toys are just like, what is my purpose in life? And you're like, oh my God, why are we getting this deep with this? But it actually works on that front. And it, it all kind of springboards from um, from Forky's character. How we get a toy that was basically just birthed out of a trash can. And it's just like, oh, trash, trash, trash. You know, uh, this is what I know. This is what I love. And Wade's like, no, you're a toy. There's more purpose to you. He's like, what's purpose? What's a person? It's just like, it's it's crazy how psychologically deep 
these characters get. But that's what we kind of like about it is that this uh, franchise advances. It improves on its story, and it's not really the same thing over and over again. It advances that that idea and the thought that these toys are conscious, and they're just like, what am I doing here? Am I supposed to be loved by a child? Am I supposed to be free and wandering around like Bo Peep? Am I supposed to be someone's toy until, you know, they get tired of me? And then, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy how much character work and character focus that Josh Cooley really kind of implements into the story. And so there's a lot of emotional baggage to this film that, excuse me, that is unexpected and kind of like hits you like a left hook in a boxing ring where you're just like, I didn't expect that. Because when you look at these characters on face value, you're like, okay, they're just going to be some, like, for instance, like Keanu Reeves' character, Duke Kaboom. Like, oh, this is going to be some goofy uh, stunt um, evil Knievel toy. But there was a backstory to him. And it really caught you, it caught you off guard. I'm like, but that makes sense for his character that he feels this way. He he needs to do this stunt for this very reason, which also uh, involves a very comedic jump that he does. But... Once again, it just it adds more heart to the story, adds more depth to these toys that are just on the surface plastic toys, but there's a lot more to them, and I, I really appreciate that. It's not a, a story or, or a Pixar film that is is just um, is lazy. It, it is uh, it's a story that takes its time and just kind of lets the characters breathe a little bit, and we get to kind of hear their inner thoughts uh, and. You know that that's really kind of special on that front. Speaking of inner thoughts, Buzz Lightyear he is dealing with the um, crisis of not knowing how to make decisions. Like he feels like he's kind of losing his edge a little bit, and what he's like, listen to your inner voice, and he takes that literally and listens to his voice box, uh, which uh, once again provides some interesting commentary on that character and some funny scenes. So it, it's an interesting balance. To see all this like kind of heavy emotional work from uh, all these toys, but also provide some of the funniest stuff in the the franchise, and it, it it has the complete success of being a wonderful family film that kids would go bonkers for it because of the colors, the animation, and the humor. And then you're sitting there as an adult, like. In Joel and I's case, or maybe you are Joel and I's age, and you have kids, and you bring them to this movie, and you, you, you feel like an emotional wreck because you've grown up with these, you know, characters, and just seeing them kind of evolve to the point that they're at. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a, uh, kind of sweet, and you're just like, that's this is really nice, um, yeah, and so I, I think uh, what Cooley does is balance that wonderful kind of sharp humor that Pixar is always known for and then also apply it to um, just advancing these characters and the uh, the emotional baggage further so good on him for that um, the voice uh, uh, acting and the uh, uh, recordings wonderful I always said that uh, if I had to pick like a top five movies they had like the most perfect voice casting uh, for an animated film. Toy Story is one of them. Uh, always has been, always will be. Um, Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, perfect as the iconic duo that we know this franchise from. I'm a little selfish. I wish there was a little bit more Buzz and Woody time together on screen, but 
I still like the I still loved what I saw, but that's just more of a selfish me. Um because their their back and forth is just so great and you would never think that like Tim Allen and Tom Hanks in real life would be so great together, but in animated form they work and bounce off each other so well. And then of course you have the returning cast like uh what Joel said with like Joan Cusack and all the other toys uh making an appearance. Not as much screen time as usual with like um you know, Ham or or Rex or whatever, but they are peppered in there um, at the right amount. It's not anything that's overwhelming. This is more about Woody and Forky's journey than anything else. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just want to let you guys know that this is not a full-blown-out, like, Toy Story gang movie. It's more everyone does kind of their own little side adventures. But um, it's still worthwhile to watch. Uh, and then the new people. I loved all the new people. I know a lot of people are going uh, crazy over Keanu Reeves and uh, Duke Kaboom. Rightfully so. He is hilarious as Duke Kaboom. But uh, uh, he wasn't even my favorite. And neither was Key and Peele. Um, I-, I love their, their bunny and rabbit take. I love the fact that they they voiced uh, Keegan as the smaller one and uh, Jordan as the bigger one. Because in real life, you know, Keegan is like 800 feet tall and Jordan Peele is uh, normal size, so I thought that was kind of a funny dynamic. But they had spot-on uh, comedic timing. My favorite new one, to be honest with you, was Christina Hendricks as Gabby Gabby. What a great, tender performance. Yeah, is she uh, slightly evil and slightly villainous for most of the movie? Yeah, she is. Uh, but I can't deny the fact that not only was that performance good and making her sound menacing – but also providing that kind of that heart to her and that understanding of why she does what she does. Could she have gone about it in a different way? Yeah, she could have. But I think the overall ending thing for her, I, I still loved what she brought to Gabby Gabby and made her this this well rounded uh, this this well rounded toy to where when the end of the movie happened, I completely forgot that she voiced her. Like she was so into her role that that she really sunk into it. So I, I really appreciate that. But she was my favorite new addition. But uh, make no mistake, Keanu Reeves and Keen Pill were just as uh, uh, as funny as you think they'd be as their, as their toys. Um, a couple things. Uh, let's see. What was I going to say? Right, I, I forgot about that front. The last thing I wanted to, to kind of pinpoint um, – well, a, a couple – okay, never mind. I, I remembered it now. The only thing that slightly annoys me, and this has nothing to do with my grade, is the actual like ending to the film because it is effective. But I hate the fact that Joel and I are in this space because we know that the Disney Plus shows are coming, and it annoys me that they set them up for those stupid shows um, even though the ending does work. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, they ended the movie this way because they're setting up the shows. Not a problem. Doesn't affect my grade. Uh, it's just it's, it's annoying that Joel and I know so much in this industry because it would have been nice to know that we didn't know that, and then we'd be like, oh, Disney Plus has a show based on these characters going off and doing their own thing. That's cool. But now that I know that, I'm like, oh, I can see the the Bob Iger business side of me going, oh, they set that up straight uh, straight for the show. So, but the ending still works regardless. And the last thing before I throw it over to Joel, oh my God, I I don't know what program they're using. I don't know how they are improving each time, but this animation is the best animation they have ever done. I, I cannot believe that they have advanced to a point now 
where I thought in Good Dinosaur, their environments were photorealistic. This knocks it out of the water. The opening scene alone with rain is some of the best rain effects I've ever seen in an animated film. It is so lifelike. It, it kind of is jarring at first because the characters are obviously in animated form and they don't really look like normal toys you would see in real life. They look like animated um, characters, which is fine. It works for the movie. But the environments are so photorealistic at this point. It's kind of scary. Um, the opening scene with the rain and underneath the car, it's like it was kind of breathtaking to see how detailed and so um, real and lived in those environments were. It's It was stunning. Uh, everything in the antique shop, RV, carnival. This animation is getting out of control, Joel. I'm telling you, like, the next, like, Pixar film we see, it's literally just going to be live action. And we're going to be like, <laughs> oh, good move, Pixar. You did a live action movie. It's like, no, this is 100% animated. We're like, what? Um, so, yeah, the animation is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous and some of the best work they've ever done. Um, so, but once again, it just compliments the great story and the great um, voice acting that uh, it just supports it very well. I, I love the movie. Um, if I had to rank them, and this is like picking a, a, a favorite child. It's ridiculous that I have to say this, but it's like if you're asking me on a personal level, it uh, I, w- I would go uh, three, one, two, four. Um, but they're all great. They're all fantastic. So how do you pick? Um and I think the only reason I picked three is my favorite one because the ending still stings me uh, in a way that uh, where I ugly cry, and uh, I don't like doing that in public. Um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, but four is Joel and I were worried that three was such a perfect conclusion that this would not be worthy of the Toy Story name. I think it one hundred percent is worthy of the Toy Story name. Is it my personal favorite? No. But it is a great, great film. And uh, I, if they want to make a fifth one, I will be resistant as I was with this one. But I will still see it. And as long as you can deliver a great movie, I will, I will tell you if it's good or not. And I, I do think this is a great one. So I, I'm going to give it an A. Um, I would actually give the first three A pluses. I think they are up there. I don't think this one quite reaches that that very coveted like grade for me, but I do think it is, um, is worthy of an A just from purely on an animation front on technical, uh, story, uh, character, humor, drama. I just thought everything was well balanced. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing how well this works because right. You're actually kind of shocked on how well it works. Yeah, it it shouldn't work this well. It should be we should be looking at this as solely a cash grab and and that's it. Which it technically is, but I'll still. I mean, it, it is because it, it's, it's well done. Anything that Pixar makes ever is a cash grab because they're <laughs> they're they're wanting to make money to make more movies. Anyway, Bob, Bob Iger is allergic to money, and he just he yes. just loves to make himself sick every single time. I don't know why. <laughs> exactly, uh, but yeah, this this thing works really well. I also p- would put it at the bottom. Um, but in quotes, uh, <laughs> right. It's like you're picking a favorite child at this point. Yeah. It's, it's really effective. It's really, really good. There's, there's a couple of things that I have an issue with, uh, that make it maybe a lower grade than the others. Um, and, and I'll get into that in a second, my grade, but, um, 
but starting out with stuff that works, I mean, right at the center of this is Forky, who is such a fascinating character for many reasons. Not only just anim- in terms of the way he's animated, which is extremely believably a spork walking on um, two halves of a, of, a, of a popsicle stick uh, put on the the very top of the handle of the spork with gum and having uh, not very well. It's the, it's the first scene where him and uh, Woody are walking towards the camera in this long shot and Woody is yes. walking normally and he's just wobbling and I, I'm sitting there like chuckling the entire time <laughs> while he's walking. And it's and he's also wanting to be carried because that's the only thing he knows. So yes. so he'll walk a few paces and then he drops and 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 Woody's just just he's just taking it. You know he's just like okay, all right, fine. And it's so funny because you have this character constantly a question, or at least until a certain point, constantly questioning its existence because because suddenly even though it's awake and it's technically a toy, it doesn't think that it's a toy. Because it, it suddenly is aware that its real purpose is to be a spork. And he explains it. It's for a soup or a salad and then the trash. And that's it. He's not he's not supposed to be for anything else. So he's like magnetically attracted to trash cans. And that's how he escapes from the uh, from the RV. It's it is a perfect vocal performance. It's this neurotic, completely like scatterbrain character. That is just, just hilarious to watch. Every... He's basically playing Buster Bluth, and I, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> Very nice. So I, I love this character, and I love Hale's performance. It's, it's just, it's, it's just so good. Um, it's the most successful and prominent of the new characters, I think. Um, so to go into one problem I have, we kind of disagree on. Although I don't know if you disagree with my assessment of them. I think that the least successful is actually the Key and Peele characters. I think that they're just basically here to fill the background. Um, they're here to, to basically just kind of be funny, paired, you know, kind of sibling-esque, um, you know, a, a comedy team, basically. Um, I don't know if it always works. Uh, they don't They don't always fit the scenes they're in. But they are funny. They're amusing. Um, they're amusing, but they kind of stick out rather than stand out for me. A little bit, so that's that's a little bit of a problem. I, um, I and the way I look at that, and I, I don't really disagree with you. I just kind of look at it as like, hey, they're carnival toys. They're supposed to be kind of like out there and goofy. Like it kind of actually fits their their toys a little bit. Well, so it fits, I, I, it fits I their okay characters. I just there fits their characters. I just think their characters don't fit the sometimes sometimes don't fit right. what's around them. Um, obviously, when everybody's riffing, it does. But there's, oh, I love, there's a lot I love of sense. the key bit. The key yeah. bit, it killed the oh, whole the, audience. The key, my, oh, yeah, my gosh. The key bit, I, like, everyone was dying. My theater lost it. Lost it in there. And, yeah, it was, it was a great uh, great setup, great follow-through. I love how they delay that for so long and then come <laughs> back to it. it. It's just, yeah, it's perfect. And that, that really is at the, at the center of all this. This movie juggles, and this series has juggled this kind of situational comedy with – the emotional um, uh, beats and and the character beats so well, and this movie does it again. I mean, just the like you said, all of these characters are kind of in transition mode almost. They're 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 in, they're not in transition mode. They're in waiting mode. Um, 
they're all trying to find something that gives them that gives them a purpose or returns their purpose to them. Um, and like you said, for Woody, it's it's his loyalty to Bonnie, but there's also a little bit in there of his loyalty to Andy because that was his first kid. He's the only one that he knew for you know 19 years or whatever it was, uh, 18 years before Andy went went off to college. You know, so it was. It's a little bit of that too, and I and I I appreciated that. Um, and yeah, it just Tom Hanks once again kills it. I, I think that he's given you know consistently great work, uh, voice wise in this in this series. Um, you're right in terms of where it has some of these older characters. It pushes them to the background. Um, it barely gives anything for Jesse to do, and I I was disappointed by that because she's my favorite character in this franchise. Um, I, I was a little disappointed by that, but. You know, and and it does give Buzz a little less to do than usual, but he does get a nice little subplot here involving his, like you said, his uh, his conscience um, being the voice box in it, and it and it obviously always says something that's useful. Um, <laughs> always <laughs> at, that at particular the perfect time. Yeah, always, always in the in the right order. He never has to he never has to press the button again, um, which is really funny. So that's funny. It, it's still, I mean, not enough to to I I think at least him to really get second billing or anything but right i just um, just don't want people to like if you were thinking about seeing this movie obviously go see it we highly recommend it but do not expect to see a traditional woody in the gang type of movie this is much less ensemble driven than the previous movies because uh with the first i mean he's basically given the least amount to to do since the first one which is the movie when he was introduced um you know, like even to these characters, uh, he was introduced much later to to Andy in general than the other than the other toys were. Um, so that movie, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have a whole lot to do, but it also is like the entire plot surrounds him in a way that this doesn't. I think that it's I think that that's maybe a little problem for people. I don't know if it's a problem for me so much, but it is understandable because this story uh, shifts toward Woody in a way. Uh, that the other movies have not. It's it's mostly about him. Um, now here's another thing, and I don't. I think that we're going to disagree on this because you've already uh, uh, implied that you don't think this way. But um, I don't know how much since his ultimate arc conclusion has. Um, I, I'm I'm still struggling with whether or not what they decide with his character makes any sort of thematic sense. Are you talking about um, Woody? Yeah, with okay. Woody. His ultimate arc, I think that it ends on a note that doesn't really make much sense except as a sudden shift. And and it's a shift that, that occurs in this movie. I'm not giving anything away here. But, yeah, I don't know how much sense it makes. But then it doesn't really matter because it is a bold decision to make um, for the fourth movie in a franchise to do that. And it's also coming off of, like, a bunch of a bunch of these other storylines receiving perfect conclusions. So I don't know if it really makes that much of a difference. I think uh, my my favorite thing about this movie, um, uh, well, two of my favorite things about this movie, Bo Peep. Um, I think that making her into a, a character that has more agency and more screen time by far, more significance in the in the plot. Um, it was a very strong, very smart decision, and uh, also Annie Potts is terrific here. Uh, this is easily the best work she's given. It's the it's the most work she's ever been given, 
um, as this character who's kind of been in the background as a love interest. It's, now also, she, it's also interesting to see like the contrast of how yeah. how abandonment affects people because she went off and did her own thing. She was cool with it, like she yeah, her and her, her Woody, she were doing something with it, and then Jesse like she went to depression. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. You know, kind of. Um, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, we we get that in the in the when when she loved me scene in Toy Story two, we see that that has this everlasting impact. Whereas they're almost treating Bo Peep, you know, as her own personality and and coping me- mechanisms. They, these are full blooded characters, and yeah, it's it's really surprising how they kind of take a different turn there. Um, and then some of these other characters, Gabby Gabby is really interesting. I love the way this sort of the um, the bright but kind of sinister way that 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 Hendrix voices her. Um, it's really interesting, and and obviously they they take that character in a direction that you will easily be able to predict if you've watched movies called Toy Story Two and Toy Story Three, uh, because she's a very similar character to Lotso Huggin Bear and the Prospector. Right, uh, and, from, and a lot of people had previous... a problem with this one in particular because, without spoiling too much, it sets herself up to be a bad person, and then you you start to feel for her towards the end. A lot of people think that is a character shift that doesn't make any sense because when that shift happens, everyone's cool with all the stuff that she did pre- previous, and I don't think that's the case. No, no, it's not. They're not. Right, so I they're don't know definitely why people, not. I don't know why people have a problem with that. They they give her. They give her. Let's just say, forgiveness is offered. Yes, in a in it's a more certain about way. Forgiveness. It's not like yeah. I I like I will forget what you just did, but it's like I we can be on the the pathway to forgiveness. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, and so. And plus, I just uh, the part I didn't I didn't cry like a baby at this one. I'm. It, it's hard to make me cry, but I did. I did choke up with a moment with her, uh, one of her final moments. Um, I thought was really maybe her. I guess yeah, her final moment, pretty much. Yeah, I, I know which one you're talking about. I, yeah, it's, I, I didn't. It's, cr- I didn't ugly cry like I did in Toy Story three, but I definitely I, I swelled I up a little up, bit. I yeah. was like, oh man. There oh, were man. there were two points. There's there's that, and then there's a uh, sort of a um, uh, tracking the, all the faces of the characters we know uh, near mm. the end. Um, I, I, I definitely teared up at that too. So yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a really good movie and the animation is absolutely unbelievable. I don't know what kind of magic pills they're smoking. I'm going to, I'm going to say that, uh, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Cause like when you look it's, at where they started with the first toy story and where they're at now, it's like, how are they getting like progressively more photorealistic with their stuff? It's scary. Yeah, it's insane, and you're right about the opening, uh, the prologue, uh, where we find out Bo Peep's um, fate, and it's kind of uh, two things about that uh, scene are shocking. One, the setup. Well, three things, I guess. One, the setup of like what they're doing at the time is kind of terrifying. Right. <laughs> um, I didn't expect that to open the movie. Like what? And then um, also just like her, uh, how sudden it is that she's that she's out of the picture for them. Um, but yeah, I, the, the rain and the reflective, the, 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 the refracting light off this, off the surface. Cause you know, these are plastic figures right. mostly. Um, and it's something that they've, that they've always generally done pretty well is that refracting light, but they, they perfect it here. It looks like they are plastic, 
with light sources bouncing off them. It is it's it is wild. incredible. It is and, it is it might be one of the best animated opening scenes they've ever done yeah. period in their history. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of some of these things you're right about the environment too because there's this overhead shot where they're watching um uh the lights come on. Mm. Um I think it is when when they're yeah, and it looks like they're standing in a real place. Um, it looks like an actual little city square with, with a real fair, you know, kind of coming to life. And it's, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing to behold. And, and it's also just, it's a great screenplay. It's, it's, uh, it really moves along at, at a, in a way that is very much like the previous movies. It's very situation based. Um, it's moving from one thing to the next. And I also love how weird this movie is. I, it just, Oh my god! Every, I, yeah, I I it, said this when I walked out, and Joel and I have been joking about this for like three months straight. If the producers of Child's Play and the producers of Toy Story Four did not coincide with each other and talk to each other about their movies, then I, I, how are they so similar? There is a scene in Toy Story Four where it legitimately creeped me out, and I was like, "This is Child's Play. This is not Toy Story Four. <laughs> how do they not know about this?" It, it kind of baffles me that both these movies came out on the same day, Joel. It's also, I mean, you know, the original owner of the Chucky doll in the first movie is named Andy. So, oh my god, I it's, know it's like it's crazy, but it, that, that goes to what you were saying about how weird it is. It takes yeah, some weird turns, man. It does, it does, and it's and it's delightful, in, <laughs> right? In the way that it does that, I, I just. I just love that, and I think that, I mean, just just the character of Forky is strange in this world because we haven't seen anything like this before. This this thing earning sentience. That's we haven't seen that. We've just seen a you know the first Toy Story doesn't introduce us to the idea, or doesn't introduce its world to the idea of of toys coming to life. They already are, you know. So it introduces us to that the audience but in the in the world of the the i mean you think about the first scene um the the conference or whatever where they're all together talking about the day you know what's going what's going to happen that's a that is a that is a uh, a regular thing they do so within that within that universe they all have life we've never seen in this case a created toy earning sentience and so it just that is weird and delightful and a, a lot of fun to see and I just, I just love it. I think it's, I think it's, um, uh, I think it's excellent. And yeah, so a minus for me is close. It's definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, we're probably going to talk about it next week, um, and we'll get to that. I, in a I don't know, man. I mean, that's a great segue I mean, it's, it's a to our, good, our. It's a pretty good year. It's a pretty it's, good year. It's but good, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's such a good year. I'm having a hard time like deleting stuff, adding stuff, and the fact that because I'm, I'm already done. I'm just letting you guys know right now, like, Toy Story 4 was the last thing I needed to see before I felt comfortable making a top 10 list, because I already saw films like Yesterday, Last Black Man in San Francisco, so, like, I'm good, and so now it's just going to be for the next week trying to figure out where things are going, and now that Toy Story 4 is so good, I'm like, well, I mean, I have, like, How to Train Your Dragon in there, I got Missing Link in there, it's like, one of those might have to go, and that's going to upset me. Yeah, it's it's re- like all three of these, all three of those movies get the same rating for me. Right, it's crazy. So, well, I think I gave Hidden World a B plus, but whatever. It's the same like three and a half star kind of right. out of four, and uh, on my website. And yeah, it's just all great. Um, these are all terrific entertainments, and 
Um, yeah, so A minus for me, A from Chase, and then we kind of split, I guess, on Men in Black. So, but I think we can both agree. You can skip uh, Men in Black and National completely <laughs> if you yeah. if you want to. If, if you have a yeah. choice between yeah, if these you have a choice, two, you can skip yeah. it. Um, especially, I mean, on its own, I don't think you should see Men in Black either. But yeah. Um, all right, so that's it. That's that's our reviews of uh, of those two films. And now next week is the mid year report, guys. I can't wait. So here's how this is going to work. It's going to be just a little bit different. Um, than than before. I mean, it's then our episode last year that we did. So we're still doing uh, our top five worst and our top five best. So that's that's staying the same. Uh, we are adding two categories that we're going to announce each of them before the the main list. So before the um, the list of the worst films of the year, we're going to be talking about our picks for the biggest disappointment of the year. And I'll explain all this again next week for those who aren't listening to this episode and listen next week. But for those listening now, basically, they cannot be on the list of the worst and they cannot be contenders for the list of the worst. Just something that was maybe we were looking forward to and didn't meet expectations. Um, And then before our list of the best, we're going to be talking about the biggest surprise of the year, something that isn't a contender for the best list, but was something that maybe we didn't have any or had low expectations for and it exceeded those and we we genuinely enjoyed them uh so that's how that's going to work um just adding a little bit more it gives us an opportunity to talk about movies that we don't talk about on the podcast so um that's going to be fun and uh yeah so that's it that's been it for this episode and i can't wait for next week going to be a lot of fun to go go through the year um and my, my top five as of right now is the weirdest thing in the entire world, and I can't wait to see what the uh, – I have a handful of movies to catch up with before that. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, all right. So I, you can find my writing at joelonfilm.com. Uh, I've got a review of Toy Story 4 up as well as Anna and uh, The Dead Don't Die. I saw those this week as well, and I also caught up with a few movies that are now streaming various places, including Five Feet Apart, Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase, and Wonder Park. So I've got reviews of all those up now. You can go see them at my website, joelonfilm.com. You can also find some of my writing at uh, dallasmoviescreenings.com. Last week I I reviewed a um, really solid documentary called 5B that's available there. you can also follow me on Twitter at Real Joel Copling and on Letterboxd at Jay Copling. That's where I am on the interweb. So, Chase, what about you? Yes, if you guys want to follow uh, this podcast on uh, Twitter, it's at Real Me and Podcast. If you want to follow me personally, it's at uh, Real Chase Lee. Um, and then, of course, for this podcast, what you're listening to on Castbox, uh, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Uh, wherever or speaker, uh, wherever you get this, uh, please you know share it around. Let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. Um, so our our schedule, just real quick, is going to be a little wonky in July. We are only having two episodes now. Don't worry. Um, you're so you're going to get two less episodes, but you're also going to get a lot of reviews from me. Like for instance, I got um the yesterday review that's going to drop uh, this coming Monday. Uh, I will have Midsummer drop uh, next week as well sometime. So you guys will have you know a couple of reviews to kind of hold you over. I'll have Stuber drop at some point, probably the farewell whenever I get to see that. Like so, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff 
that I'm going to be watching that are going to drop for you guys. So is there going to be full episodes, you know, every week? You know, not in July. There's going to be two of them. You're going to get Spider-Man Far From Home and The Lion King. But uh, just keep a lookout for all the other extra stuff that I'm going to post up because um, uh, we don't want you guys to go cold for, for two weeks. This is not. And we, and we should also note that the Spider-Man episode is going to be a week late. So right. But that uh, gives you Chase a chance is, to Chase see it. Chase is out of town you know, the first and last weekends of July, so we're not going to be able to do Spider-Man or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on time. Um, funnily enough, we'll be do we'll be able to do the Lion King. But but uh, that, that's actually good for you guys because that's going to give you a full week or so to see Spider-Man: Far From Home, and we're going to probably be talking about spoilers, and you know that's what's going to go down because yes, <laughs> it's it, it's probably going to set itself up for Phase Four. There's going to be a lot to dissect, so just know yeah. it gives you get, it gives you time to watch it, and we'll be talking about spoilers for that one. So. Um, yeah, so just watch out for any mini reviews I got coming up. You know, like I said, I got Midsummer and Yesterday coming up. Uh, those are the m- more current ones. And then, uh, yeah, then we'll see you guys for the uh, next episode for the Mid-Year Report. But this has been episode 281. I am Chase. That is Joel over there. You guys are awesome. Uh, and thanks for listening to Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. See you guys next week for one of my most anticipated episodes. Bye-bye. Bye.